Welcome to another episode of MTVG, the House of MTVG, and holy shit, buddy. We keep doing this when, just like, hard news. Yeah, yeah, we've definitely had some gaps in our recording, and that's mostly due to real life. Um, you know, I had the COVID. I got the COVID. It, it, it hit me and took me out for a couple of weeks. Um but yeah, unfortunately, the thing that motivated us to really make an effort on this Halloween night of 2020 uh, is the unfortunate passing of Sean Connery, uh, Sir Sean Connery. I was going to say uh, Sir o- Sean Connery, right? The OG James Bond himself. Uh, I woke up to the news, and I'm pretty sure you said you woke up to me texting the news to you. Uh, I was uh, actually up at that point in time, and but it was like I got, I read your fucking message, and I just like, I was just getting ready to go to bed, and I just kind of shit my pants, you know. It's like one of those because we, I the worst part is I, I mean, not to say anything, but. I feel like I kind of jinxed it, but we talked about this. It's like, how awful would it be if Sean Connery, you know, it's like, God, I'm I'm just going to keep my mouth fucking shut. Well, I mean, the guy was 90. um, So he obviously lived a very long and rich and amazing life. Um, I could have gone for 91 and 87, 365ths. I mean, I could have, I could have gone for 120, um, personally but uh you know we don't get to choose wow. that sort of thing no we don't um, yeah it's right but obviously um can't can't begrudge 90 but still damn no no you can't you can't but uh, i mean obviously the the news of his passing uh massive worldwide shockwave um outpourings of remembrances from I mean, every corner and angle of the internet that you can imagine. Um, everybody is speaking up and sharing their memories and Some condolences. Some great tributes out there. Some really good yeah, yeah. I mean, um, yeah. I read, uh, let's see, I read one from Pierce Brosnan not too long ago. George Lucas, Kathy Kennedy. I read one from Daniel Craig. I mean, obviously... Um, you know, Brosnan and Craig are playing or have played James Bond or are currently playing James Bond. Um, George yeah. Lucas and Kathy Kennedy work directly with him. Uh, I read another one earlier today from Alec Baldwin, another guy who worked with him. Um, you know, he wasn't without controversy. He said some things in an interview back in the 80s that pissed people off. But in general, uh, he was beloved by his fellow actors and directors and by people of the world you know i mean he he was my first james bond because he was my dad's he was he first was james like, bond you know i mean that's who but i he was grew up james with. bond he was james he really bond was like christopher reeves was superman he really was he really was he he definitely uh, personified that role and set the standard that hey if this is what James Bond is um, maybe not uh, strictly accurate or completely accurate to the uh, the Ian Fleming description um, but I mean he he took the role made it his own and obviously became a legend 
uh, just from that. But I mean, you look at his other work, the guy's a legit actor. I mean, a legit actor with a legendary voice. I mean, an absolutely legendary. How many people have freaking copied that voice? It's, it's just like one of those things you do. Uh, Yes, it is one of those things that you do. You pull off your Sean Connery accent if you can. Um, but yeah, right. no, this, uh, <laughs> or you fa- you know, or you pretend to, or, or you don't, yeah, or you right? fail. Oh, yeah. Celebrity Jeopardy, where the, I mean, it was never really actually him, but it's like the character was so, uh, just the way that everything just, he was an icon like that. It's like you just could hear it. It was, it was, ah. Uh, I Man. had completely forgotten about the Celebrity Jeopardy right? stuff until you just mentioned it because I can't remember who it was playing him on Saturday Night Live's Celebrity Jeopardy, but he did a pretty decent um, interpretation or impersonation of him and uh, in looks Car- and in voice. Caricature. It's like yeah, he- good caricature, and I mean, made him completely over the top. It was uh, it was fun. It was a lot of fun. Um, and it, yeah, it's like, and it's one of those things that it's. I think. It, it it set the tone and it's one of those that I, I just beloved parts but it was it's like when Weird Al does, does somebody's song a co- cover of it it's like I don't know it's just it's reminiscent of the original in ways that it still invokes that that kind of celebrity and I don't think you could have pulled that off with anybody else really I mean the man's man and all the different. Oh things. yeah, the the guy was a stud. He was a bodybuilder. He placed in the Mister Universe competition. Right. You know, I mean, obviously, in the days before it became the giant hulking, you know, Schwarzeneggers and Ferrignos and stuff like that. I mean, the guy was an incredible athlete uh, and an incredible actor. Um, you know, obviously, very very handsome guy, very charming, very charismatic, very suave. Um, what was the first movie you ever saw, man? Oh God, that's a good question. Um, I know for me personally, I know what it was, but I'm just curious. It for you. would it would probably be it's one of two. It was either uh, Doctor No or Darby O'Gill and the Little People. It was one of those two, right? Darby O'Gill and the Little People for me. Uh, what was yeah. his name? Michael. Michael. Michael, hang on. Let's go to IMDb. But Michael something, yeah. Yeah, uh, what? Let's, yeah. Uh, let's see. I know I saw this. Uh, Michael McBride. Michael McBride, yes. And he sang yes, in that movie. Yes, so she's my dear, my darling one. Yes. yes. Yes, yes. Oh, gosh, dude. That was one of the ones that that movie right there was what I think. That was the first time that I ever really that I ever had seen a Sean Connery in any role and definitely one of my favorite characters in the entire thing. Um, yeah, a good, a good Disney movie, uh, kind of centered around, spooky uh, and creepy Irish, Irish folklore, folklore of, uh, the leprechauns and banshees and, uh, you know, Darby O'Gill played by, I couldn't even tell you an oh, elderly that's... Irish man. Um, you know, is, what is the plot? You know, he, he... A wily old codger matches wits with the king of leprechauns and plays matchmaker for his daughter and the strapping lad who has replaced him as or replaced him as caretaker. So 
basically he's, oh that's right he's yeah. replaced as the caretaker of the church and he gets a little bit bent out of shape but then he's like he ends up trying to get his daughter together with uh with michael and then yeah the whole leprechaun thing and the banshee and the banshee yeah the banshee at the end dude that like creeped me out when i was oh yeah that was that was pretty scary i remember being scared about that when i was i was yeah when i was little this was like because i also remember you know it it was on the same level as the fucking monkeys from the wizard of oz so it what i was like around five years old when all this shit was really creepy and then it's like not long after that I got introduced to Alfred Hitchcock and the birds. And that like cemented my my aversion to horror films. And from then on out I was like, done. I don't need to be more scared than I've been scared right now. And then Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. For sure. Um <laughs> But I mean you're we're talking about a man he has ninety four 94 uh, 94 credits on imdb mm-hmm. uh almost one for every year he was alive um some were just bits i did notice that. yeah like, a lot of early bits in his uh in the mid to mid 50s to about mm-hmm. the middle of the 60s yeah it wasn't until dr no i think dr no is the movie that made him uh what he was but uh you look at a lot of his stuff before james bond and it's uh shakespeare or uh anna karenina wasn't his first the first bond wasn't that uh from russia with love right no it was dr no it was dr no was it really oh yeah oh yeah it was Doctor No, sixty-two, right there. Yeah. From well, Russia and with love. I mean, Dar- Darby O'Gill might have been his first big movie. 50, that was fifty-nine. In fifty-nine. In fifty-nine. So yeah, put it to you like this: my dad was four years old, my mom was three years old when that movie came out. Yeah, my dad would have been uh, six years old. Crazy. Yeah. But a lot of a lot of little bit parts, and it seems like legitimately like Darby O'Gill was his first maybe big movie. I think so. And then after that, I mean, I did see, uh, and I don't remember it super well, but I did see the TV Macbeth with him in it. Yes, he had a lot of TV movies. Yeah, I want to um, say we watched that all the way back in high school. Maybe, yeah. He played, um, he played Alexander, too uh alexander the great right in a, in a tv movie uh adventure yeah and then what anna karina he was in that it's i forgot it i didn't even remember that yeah i've heard yeah, of anna I, karina mind you yes 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 i've never seen it so i can't say anything i just didn't realize that he was that was like i'm like wow okay see and i'm still all the things you know but after that that yeah doctor no all the bonds start hitting uh dr no from russia with love goldfinger uh thunderball you only live you only twice. Live twice and right. then we have a, a gap a with gap. uh some of the george lazenby roger moore and then we get diamonds are forever and then we get more roger moore movies um murder on the orient express though dude he was a, that, yep. that was that was a good flick great train robbery a bridge mm-hmm. too far um 
Robin and Marion, where he played Robin Hood. The Wind and the Lion, that is actually an excellent, excellent, excellent movie. Um, that is another one my dad would rent quite often. Um, I had not, I had not seen that one. It's an excellent movie. Uh, Outland, that's another one that my dad would rent from time to time. I didn't really care for it that much, but... Um, but yeah, okay. then he picks up picks this, up Bond again in '83 with Never Say Never. Right, again. and this is gonna sound, but one of another one of my early experiences with uh, with Sir Sean Connery was Time Bandits. Did you ever see Time, Time Bandits? I don't think I saw Time Bandits. Dude, no. it's about a bunch of dwarves that are hopping through time that pick up a kid and. He's playing Agamemnon, and there's you know in the big old battle for Troy and uh, and Helen and all that other stuff. It it was, and it's like that was part one of the one of the uh, scenes in the movie. So it was not a big part, but that was like I remember watching the movie in my teens and thinking, "Holy shit, that was Sean Connery." Okay, yeah. maybe I didn't think, "Holy shit," I was at the you know. I was in my teens. I of course I did, right? Yeah. Um. Yeah. Well, I mean, his his body of work is is extensive, and uh, and I do remember excellent sort of valiant. The, <laughs> do you remember sort of the valiant? Uh, no, when he, where I he don't played remember the Green that at Knight. All. No, he. Okay. No, I don't remember that at all. But I do know um, that you, you remember the next one he was in. Uh, After it. Yes, I do. I love that movie a lot. Right. Uh, cult classic. Mm-hmm. Uh, classic movie. 1986. Um, yep. I was. I, I discovered that movie when I was a teenager. Um, as it, I was only like six years old when it came out. The movie we're talking about is, uh, is of, uh, just another just cult classic, The Highlander. Um, Highlander. Uh, and Highlander was, if you're not familiar with it, you know, check it out because it's people cutting off heads and taking power and living forever. And it doesn't get cooler than that, right? Yeah, Sports. and it's it's really cool. And I know Highlander has been something that they've been talking about rebooting for many, many years now. But I just don't think they've gotten it off the ground. Um, but I, I expect it will. I expect it will come back at some point. I mean, because the concept is fucking solid yeah, as a rock. Yeah, so you just need a good story. Because I hate to say it, the the Highlander series that was on TV that was a good fucking show. Oh, I loved that show, dude. That show was fantastic. But to follow, I mean, it up, they, I mean, you'd have to do you'd have to do fucking good to follow that shit. Well, up. so they did follow it up because they went from the movie, right? They went from the TV show to a movie called Highlander Endgame, mm-hmm. and you had Connor and Duncan on there and Duncan ends up having to kill Connor. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, they did, what did they do? Two made for TV movies or maybe just one made for TV movie. Oh, really? And it was, and it was horrible. Yeah. Starring Duncan. And it was like post-apocalyptic uh, dystopian. It was horrible. It was very, oh, very horrible. Oh, um, see. oh, that's what I'm talking about. That's like, but uh, yeah, no, I mean, we, we could, we could spend, a long time on going through his IMDb and, you know, talking about the movies, but, uh, we, we gave each other a little homework assignment, yep. um, to come up with our top five movies. Each one of us has picked a top five 
which we will go from five to one and each name our movies and then discuss and talk about it. So um, since we're already kind of rapping about movies, we might as well launch into our list. Okay. Yeah. Sounds good. You got your list ready to yes, roll? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. All right. So do you have it ranked from five to one? Um, yes. Yes. And it, it was okay. not easy. No, it was not an easy choice. And I have honorable mentions. I don't know if you do as well because I... You know, I do have, definitely so... have some honorable mentions yeah. because I feel there's like some... there's some that are really good that I just don't remember well enough to put on my list. Sure. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. So what is your number five movie? The Untouchables. The Untouchables. His his Oscar winning role in The Untouchables. Excellent mm-hmm. choice. Yep. I my... Uh, that, the, Go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say, I just the movie as a whole was obviously just a, fa- a fantastic movie. It was well acted, but I don't know. There was his part. It was just it made. I felt like it just it made the movie. It made the entire everything. Um, brought it all together, kind of like the glue. You know. Yes. Yeah. For sure. And it is a it is a classic. Uh, 1987, I believe. Kevin Costner was in uh, yeah. it with him. Kevin Costner um, was Elliot Ness, and yeah, Elliot Ness, yes, going after uh, Al Capone and uh, <laughs> oh. very familiar mobster story from back in the day. The one um, scene that sticks with me is the shotgun scene. His shotgun. oh, is that the is that the one where he's uh, uh he brought a, a knife to a gunfight or something like yeah, that? Yeah, right near. I that think it's scene? right near the end. You know, and he just yeah, it's I don't know. There's just something about the what the him the in the brown suit with the freaking uh what the newsy kind of hat and just chambering that shotgun, and that's like that's like it just it was a scene that has stuck with me. It was just uh, it was a moment. I don't know. It was a cool moment. It was a cool moment. Yeah, and a great movie. And like we said, that's that's the one he got his Oscar for. Yeah. So, um, um, your number five. My number five is Doctor No. Uh, his his first foray into James Bond. Um, I mean, it, I could leave my explanation at that. Yeah, um, absolutely. But I mean, we're talking in within the first ten minutes of the movie. We're hearing Bond, James Bond, for the first time, uh, a line which has been replicated and repeated in every other James Bond movie um, since then, uh, up to and including the the latest uh, Daniel Craig film. I'm sure we'll have Bond, James Bond in it somewhere. Uh, set the standard for what a Bond movie is supposed to be. Um, I mean, you just can't... Uh, you can't say enough about it. it. Came out in 1962. Uh, was a little bit edgy for its time, and apparently the version released in some European countries was even more edgy. Um, Wasn't also the but, James the 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 Bond babe uh, was was also one of those uh, that was kind of was really edgy at the time too. How they have the bikinis or whatever that they would have. Yeah, Ursula Ursula Andrews as mm-hmm. Honey Rider, yes. Yeah. Very, very yeah, risque. But, <laughs> yes, but I mean it introduced us to Dr. No, obviously, and the character of Phoenix Lighter. M. Uh I mean, yeah, just on and on and on with the 
Miss Moneypenny showed up for the first time. I mean, obviously, along with everything, it just it created the world of James Bond. I mean, it's it launched the James Bond universe. And we're coming up to what the 25th Bond movie is going to be released eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, that's uh, that's a lot of films based of, off of yeah. a character that. Uh, you know, that he launched and he, I mean, most people say he's still the best Bond. Um, you know, there's a lot of Bonds, but if there I'm are a lot of pick Bonds, one that encapsulates the role again, it's like it embodies it. It's, it's Sean Connery. Yes. But. Yes. I, I have a hard time if someone says, well, who's my favorite Bond? Cause I really like Daniel Craig. I like him a lot. He's really, really um, awesome. He's really awesome. Yeah. Um, so I usually I usually do a top three without placing numerical values, and that top three is Sean Connery, obviously, mm-hmm. Daniel Craig, and Timothy Dalton are my my th- my oh, favorite. Oh, you bonds. like okay, you like Timothy. Dalton. I do like Dalton. I like Dalton a lot. Okay, um, okay, because he he they his version was more of a, I mean, more of a stone cold killer kind of guy, which I really liked. He's very intense. I like Timothy Dalton. I think he's underrated. Yeah, you know, and I, uh, I've seen lists that have him at number two, and then I've seen lists that uh, that Daniel Craig is at number two. Um, I've seen lists that actually exclude him and put him at towards at the bottom, towards not at the bottom, but towards the bottom, and like have Brosnan at number three, and those, and then down. So it's it's. I think obviously Daniel Craig and and Sean Connery those those two guys fit the role in a way that that are very unique to each of their character their version of Bond. Oh yeah, um, their versions of Bond are actually fairly far apart. Mm-hmm. Um but at the same time very similar. Right. Uh, it's it's cool. It's I don't think it's really also fair to try to compare. It's like the Bond from the Jokers. Back yeah, it's not. It's not. You can't really say that because you look at the advantages just in the technical aspects of how movies are able to be made now compared to when Sean Connery was doing it. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be able to match. Like watch Casino Royale, the opening scene where he's chasing that that bomb maker through that construction site and he's parkouring and they're going up cranes and down buildings. You couldn't do that back in the sixties. And so to say, you know, to, to, to compare the two, it's just, it's just not fair. Cause they, everybody, except for Lazenby, I fucking can't stand Lazenby to come. Um, just to, to compare any of the bonds. I mean, is it evolved over time and, and became Brosnan what it is had now. A swagger that, the others didn't have that that cocky little yes he brosnan i think was very very close to connery's performance and mm-hmm. the charm and charisma yeah um daniel craig and timothy dalton are very similar they're both mm-hmm. like blunt instrument brutal just whatever killers who can also be charming you know but, but it's uh, like and they're they're very uh, one thing that i think of craig always Craig's bond is is he's resourceful in a pinch yes. he, even with the gadgets and all those kind of things you, you might still see him like grab the brick and you know <laughs> uses the brick because it's the most resor- it's the most handy and you know within reach and 
and and such. So, but uh, yeah, I just his bond still is is among obviously among the top. My my opinion is obviously it is at the top, but um, there's others that I completely respect, and I I just I I appreciate the role that they do, but it's like trying to say that Nicholson's Batman was was a bad Batman or was the worst out of three. I think for what Nicholson put into that first Tim Burton Batman, the, that, that big Batman, it was perfect. I, yeah, there was yeah, yeah. nothing that yeah. I would want different from that role and Ledger's, Ledger's Joker or, um, uh, well, uh, Joaquin's you could you could argue almost that that Joker could almost enter into Burton's world. It's it's a fringe almost. Um, just but I think that that comes from what they did um, with say in, in uh, Nolan's Batman's and things like that. It's, sure, sure, it's, sure. It's just a progression. They backed off the realism just a little bit, but still kept it in a lot of ways with that the Joker movie. So I don't know. It's like it was that was a real progression, but you could see them taking that more towards the the Batman and Burton's universe than just even if you know twisting the world a bit once Joker finally arrives verse kind of how ledger's batman is the world's really already twisted and he just starts playing with it that was how i saw the roles different you know sure yeah no exactly and i you know i mean think anytime that we have roles that are played by multiple people with a a large distance of time you know we're talking about decades in between Mm -hmm. varying actors playing bond or playing the joker i mean you go back to to cesar romero you know playing joker oh Um, yeah yeah it's just it's not i just i don't think it's fair to compare oh i love romero in that in in oh no i there's there's because it fit perfectly there's honestly never been a Joker performance that I hated. Even Jared Leto, while I didn't really dig his oh, version, that was the other one I was forgetting. I his performance, really his performance though, like he mm-hmm. was good, but that that version of Joker was definitely way out there. But dude, we're we're not here to talk Batman because that'll be a whole nother show. Yeah, no, 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 no. <laughs> that'll be a whole nother show. The rabbit holes nother... that we can go down just talking about a thing, you know, it's like where that all leads. But but yeah, back to back to number fours is really where we're at. We are at number fours, yeah. So what's uh what do you got for number four there, big fella? Oh, this one was a tough one. This one was a really tough one. Because actually, the truth is between four through one, four through one is very difficult. Um, I think my one and two picks are going to be really odd. Um, okay. Three and okay. four actually may start to fit, but I'm going to go with my number four as the Rock. Number four is the Rock. Okay. So, uh, what was that? 95, 96, 96, 96. uh, the height of Nicolas Cage action movie, Mm -hmm. uh, time (laughs) where we see 
Sean Connery playing former British SAS agent John Mason, who's been imprisoned for decades mm -hmm. uh, for for stealing classified information from the United States, and that he escaped Alcatraz and then was put into someplace even more deeper secure, and darker yeah. and more secure. Uh, Alcatraz <laughs> is taken over by a, a rogue U.S. Marine Corps colonel and uh, his his men. And they have uh, a biological weapon uh, loaded onto missiles and they need to get into Alcatraz. And so they, they turn him loose with uh, Nick Cage and a team of Navy SEALs to infiltrate Alcatraz and end the threat. Mm -hmm. And yes, an outstanding performance by Connery. Uh, fun movie. Uh, his character was awesome. You know, he, he had a little bit of a man at a time thing going on at first. Um, very physical role. Yeah. For, he would have been in, yeah. he would have been close to 70, I think, by then. Uh, I believe uh, so. Yeah. What was he was yeah, born? Great. That was 96. When was he born? Uh, subtract 90, 1930. If you subtract 2020, take 90 from 2020, 1930. 1930. So he would have been 66. Wow. He would have been 66. 66. There you go. Almost 70. Almost 70. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> what a what a role. What a movie. Um, he had some great one-liners in that movie. Mm -hmm. um, and I, yeah, and there was a, held there his was... own as an action star in an action movie. Yeah, right. It was a great. Uh, it was a good. It was a fun action film. Um, they. It was one that I felt held the action up good or well. It maintained the energy, but at the same time, it kind of poked. You know, there was lots of just times where there was humor was involved, um, but it still had you on the edge of your seats for certain parts, and then obviously the needle. Um, <laughs> yeah, but that was that was that all was Nick Con Cage with Cage, the needle. But oh, but Connery. But yeah, no, I'm just saying. Overall, the movie though, it just held its own, and all the moving parts. His moving part, his part in it was again a, a foundational support that it, it really made the movie as good as it was. Without him playing that opposite to Cage's character, there wouldn't have that dynamic wouldn't have been there, and I, I really think that just speaks to him and his acting prowess and and just who he you know how how he was. Um, he really carried the movie in ways that Nick Cage couldn't because those parts and times where it had to have that serious feel, that real action feel. Well, Nick Cage was an action. I guess, you know, that was, again, like you said, the height of his action um, portfolio. But I, Connery was the real master in that in that film. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, between him and Ed Harris oh. uh, covering covering the spectrum with their massive acting chops. Oh, I mean, and you Ed had Harris, you had dude. Yeah, you had. Well, I don't think Ed Harris was actually the real villain of the movie. I think John Spencer's character, the Ooh. the head of the FBI yeah, or whoever yeah, yeah. who was being a being a dick to Mason. I think he was the real villain of the movie. Um <laughs> Because Mason had no intention, or the, not Mason, but uh, the general, Ed Harris's character, you found out at the end that he had no intention of using the weapons that he stole. He was yeah. trying to, it was a big bluff. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and he was doing what he thought was right. Um, and taking an extreme measure to try to get his point across. So, but yeah, I think John Spencer's character, uh, was actually the, the, the true villain. Because in the end, the and, and maybe, and, and maybe some of the, some of the guys in, um, in Ed Harris's this team that kind of went rogue. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe them too. They but... kind of misunderstood. They were kind of on that whole idea that, yeah, we're going to use it. We're going to use it. And he, he just really was like, yeah, he was even, it was all about the blob. I, I see oh, what God. you're saying. Oh, God. Oh, God. And Tony, do you remember Tony Todd is in that movie, too? Oh, shit. The Candyman himself, Tony Todd, is in that movie? Yeah, yeah dude. The Rock is the rock is uh, it was a, a good solid movie. choice it for number four. It is not my number four. I What's thought we would hit four? some, I thought we'd hit some overlap, but so far we haven't. Uh, my number four is Highlander. Oh, good one. That is a really good one. I, uh, while Sean Connery wasn't the the lead, he had a relatively small role. You know, the the two main stars of Highlander are Christopher Lambert playing Connor McCloud and Clancy Brown, the legendary Clancy Brown, playing the Kurgan. Um, but the way Highlander is told is you have your story unfolding in modern times and then you have flashbacks and these flashbacks go back to connor's youth in scotland when he is killed for the first time and becomes immortal um and he's run out of his village and he finds a a girl and settles down and has a sheep farm and then one day sean connery shows up playing uh juan sanchez villalobos ramirez uh, who is an immortal like Christopher Lambert and explains to Connor McLeod what he is and what it means to be immortal and then teaches him how to fight, uh, teaches him how to use his sword because, um, you know, Ramirez had been around for a very long time, had a katana, which was kind of unusual, uh, that was made for him by the father of a Japanese princess he'd married. And he taught Connor how to fight. And then the Kurgan finds uh, Connor's home. And Ramirez is there with Connor's wife. And Connor is off doing something. They never say what. Uh, and he dies in battle uh, to the Kurgan. But not after imparting all of his knowledge that he can to Connor. So Connor, you know, then stays young forever. He's the same age. And you go and watch his wife grow old and eventually die. And Connor gives up his his family's claymore and takes Ramirez's sword as his, uh, which he carries until he dies way, way later in, uh, in a movie that I wish didn't exist. But <laughs> uh, Connery, of course, was op- awesome, captivating, uh just a presence cocky happy um just unbelievable in in that role uh in a you know what could almost be considered an independent movie back in its day mm-hmm. took that role and uh you know and he, and he definitely did took something some interesting with it. roles i mean not not to say that that he took he didn't take pick well and have lots of large but if you look over it, some of the ones that he did were were not 
large production. Yeah, no, and not, um, you know, and he he always seemed happy to not be the top to not be the top build guy either. Yeah, no. Some of his best roles have him as not the main character, and this is one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a great performance by him, and if you haven't seen Highlander, it's worth a watch. Um, so yeah, that's uh, okay. So number that's three, what's your number, number three? Um, uh, we're gonna go you first. On. We're gonna go me <laughs> first this time. Okay, my number three is The Rock. Oh, so, so which we have always overlap. already talked about, but yeah, I love that movie a lot, and I love what Sean Connery does in that movie. We've already discussed it, so we don't need to spend a whole lot of time on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, The Rock, dude, I is, think we is might my fart, number three. We might start. I mean, we might, we might fart. No, we might start hitting some overlap here. I, I think because my number three. Now, this is another, this was a hard one, mind you, because, again, my number two, number one is going to be really kind of out there. Um, okay. I'm but, fine with out there. But my number three is The Hunt for Red October. Okay. Um, um, well, I'm, I'm just going to jump ahead and say that's my number two. That's your number two. So, okay, so there's a reason. That's okay, my there number we go. two. There we go. So right, we're right close. We're right close. We're back. We're we're starting to hit back and back to back here, and yeah, uh, I mean so, for obvious reasons why that's such an amazing fucking movie. Hunt for Red October is legendary, suspenseful. Oh god, in a way and that you're is so you're talking good. you're talking about a cast. Let's see. Uh, start off with Sean Connery playing Mark Arrhenius. Mm-hmm. You have Alec Baldwin playing Jack Ryan. You have James Earl Jones playing Admiral. I can't remember what his last name Greer. is. You've got Sam Greer. Thank you. Mm-hmm. You've got Sam Neill of Jurassic Park fame playing the second or the the first officer of the Red October. Uh, you have Scott Glenn playing the captain of the USS Dallas. You have, I mean, just. Tim Curry, People, Peter Furt. Tim Curry. Tim Curry, yeah, playing the, the medical officer on the Red October. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, there are so many huge names that were on. Um, some that even don't seem... Uh, Jeffrey Jones. Uh, most people Oh, remember. Jeffrey Jones. Mm-hmm. Yep, 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 yep. From... Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I remember was Jeffrey he, Jones. Wasn't he... I want to... I think whenever I see him, was it is it Beetlejuice I'm thinking of? Didn't he play the dad in Beetlejuice or whatever? I can't remember. I can't remember. Anyway, anyway digressing. But in, in, that movie just was so beautifully acted. So just on your seat. And, and I know there's submarine guys out there saying, that's not how it really is. And that's okay. Oh, God. For entertainment. Do you, know, do you know who else is in Humphrey Red October? Hmm. Stellan Skarsgård, what plays the captain of the other Russian sub? Stellan Skarsgård. I just fucking remembered that. Yeah, no, That's dude, Humphrey right. October I is oh. an incredible movie. Uh, basic plot line for those of you who haven't seen it. Um, so it's back in the day during the Cold War before the Soviet Union collapsed. Uh, they have developed a submarine that basically has the capability for stealth it can it can use a special engine that's like a jet engine for the water so it pushes the water through instead of being pulled with a propeller so there's almost no sound 
And so the Americans find out about it and are freaked out because this is a first stealth and it's quick. It's a first strike weapon. They can get to right next to, to the United States without being detected and then launch its nukes. Um, So they set about to try to find it. Meanwhile, you learn that Ramius and many of his officers, Ramius is who Sean Connery plays, Marco Ramius, want to defect because they are tired of the crap, basically, in Russia. Mm-hmm. And they don't believe that this weapon should be in Russian hands. So Ramius decides to turn the, the, the sub over to the United States. The Rush, and he announces his attention through a letter so the russians tell the americans that hey this guy is coming to launch his nukes so the american navy goes out hunting for him the russians are going out hunting for him meanwhile jack ryan played by alec baldwin figures out or has a suspicion that ramius is going to defect and sets about to try to prove it and make contact and he ends up making contact and getting aboard the red october and it's it's awesome it's a great movie. And uh, one of his, one of Sean Connery's probably most quoted lines is in that movie. Uh, Ryan, be careful what you shoot at. Some of these things in here don't react too well to bullets. <laughs> don't react too well to bullets. Uh, that's a good one. That is a good one. My, I, another one, the, I go back, for whatever reason, I have scenes that I really like that really stood out. And it's like, for me, one of those other ones is that, that moment, that suspenseful moment when they're all, they basically go quiet and they're just wait, sitting and they're waiting. They have to wait. What was it for the other sub to go overhead or whatever, or go by? Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. And they're just, I just remember that and watching and that, the, those moments also catch me and it just, again, but that the conveying the sense of urgency that they had and they were able to convey with in in the silence with just the the shots it was it was such a uh, another great movie another great movie okay yeah, so fantastic. that's your number two um my okay, number so... two oh now this was a really this is where i really it gets it gets really really hard because i know that my number one movie i probably i mean well, I will get into it's it's a weird one, like I said, and I think I'm just gonna go there because I've been back and forth about it, and but I think I'm just gonna I'm gonna double down on it. Um, so my number two movie is gonna be Indiana Jones and Last Crusade. Oh, okay. All right. Well, um, I mean. How could you not? Harrison Ford and the the again, I, I, I seem to like these ones where they're where you have somebody of the same kind of caliber of star. I mean, that star power that 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 can act next to Connery in a way that it, it creates this really fun dynamic to watch on screen and. Harrison Ford and Sean Connery are two two legends. I mean, Nick Cage is an awesome act, action actor, but Harrison Ford, I mean, and Sean Connery in one movie, and it's an Indiana Jones movie. The the, the freaking seagull scene. Oh that yeah, alone, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I mean, absolutely, absolutely. There's Americans kicking Nazi ass. Um, I mean, okay, let's just let's just break it down to brass tacks. There, the dog's name was Indiana. (laughs) We named the dog Indiana. There, there's nothing bad you can say about Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. I cannot think of anything bad to say about it. No, nothing. So, I mean... Such a great... I love that movie. Even to this day, it's it's still like... Um, and I even asked... I asked uh, Mrs. Guy, what's your favorite Sean Connery movie? And, like, took her a second. She said, Indiana Jones. the That one that he's in. And I'm like, yep, yep. It's like... It, that is such an iconic movie. And, and yeah, that was uh, when my wife... Uh, heard the news she said she wanted to watch the last crusade right there you go uh there you go so uh that gets us to our number our number, number ones, ones right number one so Do you want my me to go first my number i mean my number one is the last crusade man okay i mean how can you how can you argue against that uh in in a in a career full of impeccable work you're talking about a role which in some scenes, he played with complete gravity and seriousness. And then the next scene would be comedic gold delivered by Sean Connery. Um, between, you know, him ribbing his son and him being almost goofy and absent-minded and hapless. And then shooting, <laughs> shooting their own plane down and sitting in a chair to cause the secret stairway to open up and Indiana goes tumbling down um, to being sentimental and loving as a father and saying, you know, Hey, you know, let, let the grail go. It's not worth your life. You know, Indiana, come on, come on, you know, and then having that scene where he's gut shot and literally dying, you know, I mean, and you hear him, it's flashing back and forth between him and Harrison Ford. And he's kind of talking from his memory of his diary, his, our way we're watching Indiana go through the trials that he wrote down the things about. And, you know, and he's, he's doing it with Indiana, even though they're, they're, they're separated. And, you know, there's some great father and son moments where they're, they're obviously at odds and have been, tense with each other for a long time and you see them mending their bonds over the course of the movie and, and um, I, you, I, I felt like they really did a good job of conveying that too in the acting and, and obviously production value but it's like the, they did it was so solid um, definitely yeah, no, a complete perfect movie Mm-hmm. Uh, perfectly written, perfectly directed, and perfectly acted. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so. that's that's my number one. That is no. my number one. My number one is like probably, and I think yeah, we you had mentioned it, but uh, is is I think horribly underrated, and it's one of his last movies. I think it's second to last movie movie. Yeah, it's it's uh, if it's what I'm if it's what I'm thinking of. It's, it's Finding Forrester. Finding Forrester is um, is a classic and wonderful movie. Um, uh, and, it, and yes, I think it is highly underrated. Um, 
Um, it was, but it's it, your pick. It's your pick. Tell us right? about it, man. Um, right. Uh, I think one of my ways, the easiest way, obviously, to describe it is it's the whole. It's the mentor kind of role. Um, it's we've seen it a lot before in other movies that have done really well. Uh, from Goodwill Hunting, you got had uh, what uh, the Dead Poets Society, on and on and on. But this one... And, and the mentor role is one that Connery plays very, very well. Very, very well. Um, and it's just about... It's about this kid, Jamal, um, that he's... In, and downplays his... He, he's really, really bright and really intelligent. Um, but, but he likes to play basketball and things like that. And he, it's sort of like they go back and forth about how he notices him watching him and eventually they you know I, they end up meeting and if you haven't seen the movie I'll, I'll, i'm not gonna really get into all of the different things because I, I don't want to break it down but the <laughs> how they develop everything and the way that they are able to communicate and how they ultimately reach each other. Um, and the promises that are made and everything that the bond that is there um, and what, what you see it mean to the Jamal character and how he grows and how he becomes comfortable in his own skin with who he is and even down to how Forrester uh, the guy that that Connery plays how he grows and and not even not grows but heals I would say because um, there's things that happened in his life that have made him cut himself off ultimately from everything and everyone um, yeah, kind of bitter and, yeah. and hard-bitten and uh, um, uh, not really a positive outlook on, on things or on life. Exactly. And so you just ultimately see the growth of in, in each and how they come to grow from each other. And I think part of it is it's almost, it's still like until the end until those bonds are trusted neither one really wants to trust the other until it comes to that final push and they both realize that i i, I they could and can and and it was i just really i really liked how the movie develops and it's it definitely hits you and it hits you in the feelers you know it's not an action movie. It's not an action movie, and so no. It in fact the the comparison you drew to Goodwill Hunting and Dead Poet Society I think is very appropriate uh, to describe the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's it's basically uh, it's it's about helping a young African American man find his potential, um, which I mean that movie and its message is is even more relevant today than i think it was the the year it came out yeah Um, yeah um to see that it's a beautiful movie it's a beautiful movie 
It really is. And beautiful performances all around. Uh, and I mean, honestly, a worthy, a very worthy choice for number one. You want to know, uh, you want a little bit of interesting uh, tie in too? Sure, sure, um, sure. One of the, one of the uh, parts in the movie, uh, Sanderson, uh, who's, I'm not quite sure. I don't remember exactly where was he, which one was he? Um, anyway, Matt Damon. Uh, Sanderson is an attorney at the end that ultimately that Jamal meets to find out that uh, that Sean Connery's character has died. Forrester has died. Um, and so he hands he hands basically he gives the last effects to um, Jamal and you'll uh, if you watch the movie you'll know you'll understand what it is that he gets and and it's it really is a, a pretty moving it's a moving thing um but yeah that the attorney is played by matt damon again yeah <laughs> yeah so that goodwill hunting kind of thing it really a little little like, meta yeah. little meta thing going on there um but yeah such a great movie such a great so movie. yeah if if you haven't seen any of these movies on our list um Watch them, watch them. Bathe, bathe yourselves in the work of the legend that is Sean Connery. Um, so hey, I had I had a couple honorable mentions mm-hmm. that I wanted to throw out now that our main list is completed. Absolutely, um, I would I would like to. I can throw out a couple myself too. So we don't we don't really need to tear into any of these except for the except for the last one I'm going to mention just because okay. we've already talked about uh, about some of the other ones. Um. But Untouchables is an honorable mention for me. Um, Darby O'Gill is an honorable slash sentimental just because, like I said, I'm pretty sure that's my first Sean Connery exposure. Mm-hmm. Um, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Oh, that was a good, his little part right, part right He's got it. He plays, he plays uncredited Richard the Lionheart in the very last scene of the movie. Um Yes. But again, it's one of those things where you've watched a great movie and then Sean Connery shows up for 20 seconds and, it and makes you're like, it oh my God, it's better. Sean Connery. Right. Another, another, uh, Sean Connery and, uh, Costner. Yes. <sighs> another Sean Connery and Costner movie. Yeah. And my last honorable mention and sentimental favorite is actually, I think it is his final acting performance in Hollywood and it's not a good movie. But it it can be fun, and that is the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Yes. Uh, I saw this with a couple of my buddies. It's a comic book movie. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Just like the Avengers before, was. yeah, before comic book movies were a thing, and it basically sets this world up where all of these literary characters from other stories are real, mm-hmm. and they're brought together as like a team, like the Avengers, to stop this world threat. And uh, again, not a great movie, but fun. And uh, Connery does some amazing work in it. So, do you uh, remember the orig- the original Avengers movie? That's not the Marvel Avengers, but the yeah, like back in the si- based on the the the, the British si- show yeah. from the sixties. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was that was one that. Um, sadly, another one of my my sentimental favorites was Entrapment. And the first night, I had those two in there. Oh, though, dude, there's nothing to be sad about on those. Those were both really good movies. I, you um, know, uh, there were some things about Entrapment that was like, 
I don't know. I guess I, I just I got I, maybe it got panned, but I really liked it. It was fun. I thought it was a fine movie, dude. It's very watchable. Yeah. Uh, um, you know him and him and Catherine Zeta Jones are thieves basically, and he's and, the old experienced thief, and she's kind of the young hot thief, and um, he kind of mentors her, and they plan a big heist together. Um, first night was that the other one you mentioned? Uh, first night. Yeah. Yeah. So that's him playing King Arthur and Richard Gere playing Lancelot. It's kind of a take on the Arthurian legend. Uh, good movie. Good movie. Not great, but Not good great movie. Not great at um, all, no, but good movie. Good, uh, good, just... good swordplay choreography, some epic battles and things like that. It's it's worth a watch. It's just, it was, I think it was at the time and it was like during my, you know, my Sean Connery's awesome. Um, and so it just is one of the ones that regardless of how good it was, that just always will stick in my, my memory. But, um, some others that I, I, I remember seeing, but, and really liking, but I don't remember at all. Um, the man who would be King is one. Um, Yeah. 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 And that one, I just remember it. And I remember just, I was, it was it's like some of those older ones where it's like you can't i didn't really buy into the costumes but at, by the end of it it did they didn't even i didn't even blip on me right it's like they i gotten so used to them and accustomed to their their wardrobe during those things that it wasn't completely i don't know i just and it was like i just like i remember liking it but i don't remember it not like i should um and then I did the we did mention obviously the Highlander movies they they definitely uh, well the first the, the first one the he first was also one. in this he was also in the second one but the second one is one of the worst movies ever ever made, made. um and but the so first I like one to, was I like to pretend that second one doesn't just didn't exist happen um I, and the, another one was actually more a voice and I and it's again it's a sentimental not because it was really good but Dragonheart. He voiced the dragon yep. Draco, um, but that was kind of those. Those are my honorable mentions that I can't say made the list because they were great movies. But I just remember watching and Darby O'Gill obviously is there. But you said that, and yeah, but how could you not? I don't um, think I've ever seen the, the man films, who. W- really. I don't think yeah, dude. Um, any of the Bond films, but I don't think I've seen the man who would be king. I'm looking at it right now. Okay. Um, I might have to check it out because it it's has, got one hell of a cast. Yeah. It has a hell of a cast. Sean Connery, Michael Caine, Christopher Plummer. I mean, legends. Three it, legends. Right. And it's like... And it was nominated for four Oscars. Mm-hmm. So... It was really good. It was a really... I just remember thinking, and I really... Michael Caine, it was the entire dynamic. I think if... it To me, it was like... A, Almost like, uh, what is it? Uh, I want to say, was it Spies Like Us? Was almost a ripoff on that kind of idea. At least a, they had that short parody uh, in the desert. Was it, which one? Was that the... Oh. Oh, dude, I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> I don't even anyway, know. I don't anyway, even know. Anyway. I'm going to have to check that movie out. I don't think I've ever seen The Man Who Would Be King. It was, uh, I, I remember really liking it. Um, some interesting things. You know, you remember why never... Did you... Was it Never Say Never Again? 
Didn't that yes, get that his, was his name because he had said he was never going to play Bond again? <laughs> yes, I, that is the. I don't. I, I'm pretty sure that's the official history, but it's more fun to call it an urban legend. Yes, that is the urban legend. Yeah, is that he right. said he was never going to play James Bond again, and then he played played him again one last time in night in the eighties. Mm-hmm. So and and so yeah, the movie became Never Say Never Again because he returned to Bond one more time. And isn't that um, that followed the one where it say you, uh, uh, what is it? Never or only die twice, or you only live yes. twice. You only live twice. You only live twice. And the th- and what was funny was uh, wasn't that? I mean, I think that was the that was the Bond before that. Never say never. Was it? Or uh, is there one on, in I'm between? Looking. Um, because I want to say that he had died in the Bond movie before You Only Live Twice, and then that '67. I thought, what died in Thunder? Did he die in Thunderball? No, 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 no. No, okay. Um, he was. I mean, we had the Lazenby and Roger Moore era, in between. Let's see, Diamonds Are Forever, and then looking, 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 looking. Yeah, oh, there's Diamonds Di- Are Forever. So Diamonds Are in Forever. 71. Yeah. In 71, yeah. And then it was 12 years later in 83. He was him and Never Say Never Again. So we had the we had the more Lazenby era in between 71 and 83. And then after 83, it went to Dalton. Yeah. And then from Dalton to Pierce Brosnan. And then from Pierce Brosnan to Daniel Craig. Yeah, Dalton was, I think, my grandpa's favorite Bond. He was a good Bond. I mean, he played him, other than Lazenby, he played him the least. I think he had two movies. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but yeah, good movies. Good movies. Yeah, he wasn't actually a bad... I remember thinking he wasn't a bad Bond. And I... I he was, I think, as odd as it might sound, one he was my first introduction to the Bond character. He would have been. That would have been about the time that we would have been watching those movies. We would have been, you know, not quite 10 years old, you know, mm-hmm. six, six, seven, eight, nine. And I saw the new there. Bond movie and it, it was Dalton. And then I saw Connery and I was like, I liked it better. But at the same time, they were old movies. And so it was sort of like, I, you know, it was the, the t- tear between watching new, new movies and the cin- cinematography versus old movies. And at that point in my life i didn't have an appreciation for a lot of the older stuff unless it was on sure. tv as um, as children are want not to so right so and then as i got older that was when i yeah that was when i really discovered the bond films and that was like but yeah and then you can make your comparisons but yeah that was dalton was my first bond but still it's like there's only one that really fit it and yeah he will be missed his yeah, shot. he he is already missed. Um, Thankfully, as he, there's such his, a large body of work that you can um, yes. binge. Yes, his his death um, was definitely the dominating news story of the day. Halloween um, and Halloween, yeah, kind of a kind of a nice break. I mean, unfortunately, but is in you know we're days away from our presidential election, and it was nice that everything stopped. To pay uh, homage yeah. and respect to to Sir Sean Connery, there there wasn't much. You didn't see much from the campaigns, but everywhere you looked, you saw stars and news outlets and just regular people uh, stopping 
and giving their memories and their their well wishes to the Connery family and their love. Um, it's something we could all do uh, do with more of. Yeah, definitely can get behind it. It's you know yeah, and it's it's yeah, it is absolutely wonderful to see everybody can, at least can still gather behind and around some things. And this was this was a loss that everybody felt, regardless. I mean, there's again so, such a body of work and. This he was he was an entertainer and he did his job. God, he did his job his entire life so well. Eh, yeah, Can yeah. Only, yeah. Uh, I mean, hats off and and you know, fond fond farewell because it's like he, he ninety years old. You can't be begrudge a guy for going in at ninety and and you can only say that he filled those years, man. He filled those years awesome. Yep. yep. And gave uh, us something to to appreciate and that will last yeah absolutely thank you for everything sir sean connery rest in peace and enjoy this next journey that's right so this show um obviously we've spent the last hour talking Mm -hmm. about a man who we could probably spend the next 10 hours talking about but uh we didn't want to dedicate the whole show just to this one topic because uh, something someone, uh, something big yeah something big happened obviously if you're uh, if you're in this world and you're listening to this podcast you're you know what we're talking about friday because now it's october 30th uh, friday october 30th the the long wait that i mean in reality wasn't that long we're only talking like five or six months that we had to wait but the mandalorian season two premiered on disney plus on october the 30th and uh, welcome to this week's segment of the broom boys right. and welcome to the broom boys segment where we talk about all things star wars uh, and hey, we're gonna focus we... fire we're gonna just focus yes fire we are one. we are gonna focus fire but before we start on the mandalorian mm-hmm. we uh we haven't talked about star wars squadrons yet have we no we have not we have not so no, we have uh not. It's exactly what I wanted it to be. It is. Uh, a, a true flight sim uh, that I enjoy so much that I actually went out and onto eBay because I couldn't find one anywhere else and got a got a HOTAS flight stick so I could play it more uh, more, genuinely. more authentically, more and, genuinely, yeah. And I'm, um, great I'm jealous. Game. I want it. I want one so bad. And I, I'm like, I haven't dropped the money yet because we have other things that I have to make sure they're miss guy gets mrs guy you know she's she gets first and then then if i have what i can get in the background i do which is generally most of the stuff i want but and if it was i could find it like in the store i totally would already have it but yeah like i said i had to go to ebay where i paid uh i paid a, a decent markup uh compared to msrp but it was worth it and uh fucking scalpers yeah yeah fucking scalpers uh loving the game dude loving oh the god game. i love it so much I, that's why i want and i want the hodas for it because d- it, the experience would be so much uh, i can only imagine because it's exactly how you describe it becomes that much better because it's very it's 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 very very immersive yes um, um the only way it could get more immersive is if you went with the vr route uh, Ooh, yeah. along with the hotas and you can you can go the vr route in squadrons yeah um i could see how that would that that would work so well dude that would work so well 
Um, yeah, but anyway, great game. True flight simulator, exactly what I wanted. It's fun. Uh, it's fun. It's fun. It's, it's great. Uh, the learning curve is not super forgiving, um, but at the same time, the AI can be. Um, your your co-pilots and your your the secondary crews can really help you out if you're trying to figure out which way is up. Um, yeah. Or towards the ship or anything. Um, but beyond the learning curve, uh, the at least the joystick, the controller, it's semi-intuitive. There's certain things that I really don't like on it that I'm I'm trying to get around on the controller that the HOTUS just has a better time dealing with, and that's like the the your acceleration, um, your throttle. The throttle right there is enough reason to want that, um, without a doubt. Oh, yeah, dude. The throttle, just Fucking being able throttle. to move the throttle to where you want it is pretty epic uh, and makes a huge difference. Uh, yeah. I know my gameplay, once I got used to the flight stick, my gameplay improved significantly. Um, just because of the precision and everything kind of just being right there. There's quick act on my stick has very quick access to everything, including toggling power and countermeasures and lasers and the and the throttle. The throttle is such a game changer. It's not even funny. Yeah, but, that's my biggest um, fight with the entire game is that damn throttle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, you know, I mean, I I wish uh, I wish they made enough or made more flight simulators to where. Uh, Part of the reason why you're having a problem with finding one right now is because MS Flight Simulator 2020 came out. Yeah, but I'm saying what I was trying to say is I wish they made more flight simulators so there was a more of a demand for more sticks to have been put out into the world already. Agreed. Um, yeah, so, I mean, it's a supply and demand issue, and the supply is low, and the demand suddenly skyrocketed between flight simulator and squadrons. And I want to say uh, there was a there was another game that just recently came out. Uh, uh, Ace, Ace. Ace Combat 7. Yeah, which uh, I it's on, or it was, it might still be, on Xbox Game Pass. And I played it, and it's, it's cool. It's cool, but it's very arcadey. It doesn't feel... It doesn't feel very like an authentic flight sim. It feels very arcadey, so I didn't really enjoy it. And this is this one is like what people wanted with Battlefront when it came to the the flight is yeah. this one is a whole lot more flight simulator than what you get in Battlefront with the the um the flight. Portion yeah, the flight it. in Battlefront feels like it's on rails as opposed to being in a three D sort of environment. And this but, uh, one, oh, you roll with and in the nice part is obviously you're in space so you can you freaking can roll and then be, uh either pull up push down take your pick but you roll and a loop and you all of a sudden doing this oh the maneuvers you can do um with uh the squadrons game is just it's fun it's so much fun because it the physics of it feel real like that's when I move the sticks in a certain way, it behaves like I'm expecting it to. Um, so yeah, hats just hats off. Such a great, it's per, it's it's 
if you want to fly in Star Wars, it's the way to go. Yep, it sure is. So now, Mando. Oh, Mando. Season Mando. 2, Episode 1. Episode 1, which, on funny enough, on Disney+, Plus, the title of the episode is not listed. Uh, it's just called Chapter 9, but I believe the title of the episode was The Marshal, right? I believe it was The Marshal, yes. Yes, so... That's what uh, the show said, I believe, at the start. Yes, if I'm remembering. I've watched it five times. You'd think I'd remember this, but it's also... Well, I guess it's actually only one in the morning because daylight savings. Right, there you go. Um, there we go. So um, we we pick up with uh, with Jindarin and Baby Yoda on a, a planet that they didn't name. Uh, it looks very Tatooine-ish, but we know it's not because he goes to Tatooine in this episode. But uh, it starts off with a scene that we saw bits and pieces of in the trailer where he goes into some sort of fight club uh, to talk to a Cyclops-looking dude who I believe was played by John Leguizamo. Oh. Because uh, his name was first in the credits in the in the, in the the order of the, the guest appearances was John Leguizamo, and that's the only person I could think of that he would be. Um, I, think, I think you're right. I didn't yeah, even pick so, that up. Yeah, I, I tried. I watched the episode a lot to try to get every single detail I could get. There were a lot. Um, and there was a ton in this episode. So, But he goes to the fight pits to get information because he said, hey, I heard you know where I can find more Mandalorians. And uh, there's a cool, there's there's like a Gamorrean death match going on say, in the right? ring. That was with so the, with these With awesome. these battle axes. And uh, lo and behold, this character. I like wants... how they had the personal deflector belts and how that was working. Yeah, yeah, it was cool. And uh, but he 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 makes a, a bet with uh, with with Jindarin, uh over his information or the armor, basically. And it depends on the fate of the the Gamorrean death match. And he doesn't buy into the terms. And the next thing you know, there's a bunch of blasters pulled on him. And he's like, give me the armor or I'll I'll take it off your dead body. And he's like, uh He's like, oh, I'm not, I don't really, I'm not really a gambling man. Or he's like, I thought you weren't really a gambling man. And he said, I'm not. And he uses his, what are they called? Whistlers or whatever. His little, yeah. his little guided missiles. And we see the part where baby Yoda, you know, reaches over and closes his own little, his little <laughs> pod. Yeah. And then, and, and then that's he the best gets, part, gets kicked out of the way. <laughs> gets kicked across the room and Mando just easily slaughters everybody. Um, and they, they did some cool stuff. Did you notice he was using his armor as a weapon? Yes, like, the he was helmet letting them, He was letting them hit him and, mm-hmm. and like, hurting their hands and then, you know, using the, the the force of the impacts to, like, headbutt people. It was cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, I liked I liked how he utilized the armor in this, definitely. Um, and they, they really, I think, are playing up with the fact that how... And there will be another time here that we'll get to the same kind of thing. The Mandalorian armor, it's it's tough. That's badass and, armor. And, and highly sought after and highly prized. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not standard armor. It is. It, is, it can no, take a no, shot. It is, more it is than a, just, cut a, a cut above mm-hmm. everything else. It can take blaster fire and still leave you standing. So... It's like the the kind of equivalent to uh, ballistic 
armor. Um, it's it good shit, great shit, obviously in the Star Wars galaxy. Um, so, but yeah, he definitely utilizes it in a really awesome way. And then, <laughs> you knew that was that his that what he did to that guy was coming. Oh yeah, so he chases the cyclops looking guy outside and uses his uh, his cable hook, yeah. to to bind him and and dangle him up on a street lamp and gets the information out of him. The guy's like, "Look, I'll tell you if you promise not to kill me." And he goes, "Oh, you I promise you will not die by my hand." And you know, that's a very very important distinction. And you he know, gets the yeah. information. Semantics. Pay attention Semantics. when somebody's threatening your life. Pay attention to the little details. <laughs> that's right. And then uh so he he gets the information and him and baby Yoda go on their way. He tells him go to Tatooine. There's a Mandalorian on Tatooine. And that kind of confused him. He goes, Tatooine, I've I was just there. I didn't see anybody. And he's like, He's there. I think I swear to God, he's there. And uh he then wanders off and he's like, Cut me down. He's like, That wasn't part of the deal. And then he shoots the light out, and then all you see is glowing red eyes which is apparently some sort of predator that's kept at bay by light. Mm -hmm. And uh, you don't see it, but you definitely get the implication that the one-eyed man met his fate in a pretty grisly fashion. He's eaten Uh, by street rat or by womp rats or whatever. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah, it could be. Um, Could be something. Right. So then they head off to Tatooine and, you get you're reintroduced to actually one of my favorite char- bit parts, bit characters in the entire thing, and that's that lady mechanic with the crazy yes. fucking hair, man. Yes, played know, by she, played by Amy Sedaris. It cracks me the fuck up. She's awesome, and she was very. They gave her some some funny lines in this, but uh, mm-hmm. he he goes to her for his ship needs a once over. He says, and he actually and lets the, the droids work. You, he lets the droids work on it. Obviously, I think the influence of IG-11's uh, sacrifice and everything else that he meant to him in the short time where they worked together, um, you see him let the droids do their thing, and he, he gets it, tries to get information out of her mm-hmm. about uh, Mandalorians and the location of a, of a town that's not on any maps called Mos Pogo. I think so. I think that's why they said Yeah, or or Plago, maybe? Pago, Pogo, Pago. Again, Plago. I watched this five times. You'd think I'd remember uh, this I shit. Got, I got it. Okay, because uh, here's the deal. I lost track after she was like, "There's Mo, there was Moan Isley, or Mose Isley. There was, what was the other one? The second um, one? Moss Espa, Espa. Which is, Moss Espa is where Anakin's from. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. it's like after that, it was like I was like, okay, I'm done with the Mon Moss, this and that. Um, I'm I, I got lost, but my if you know me, you know me well. You know that the he said, she said, they said, the what said, and I don't remember past the point that he said something. Sure, <laughs> it's sure. Like, I so, get confused. I can't do that shit. Yeah. So so she has an R5 come over an R5 unit and pulls up a map and shows him where it should be mm-hmm. and then says, Hey, you know, your ship is going to be seen long before you land there. Uh, so he, he borrows the speeder, which I assume is maybe the speeder that he rode during the, the previous episode that she was in when they were on tattooing the, the gunslinger 
episode. Mm-hmm. And him and Baby Yoda go scooting across the desert, and you see uh, the first scene with some... him talking to the Sand People. Yes, to the Tuscans. Mm-hmm. He he is fluent in their language, which uh, you see many times over the course of the episode. Um, mm-hmm. And eventually, he he comes to the. But village this isn't and... the first time that he's actually worked a relationship with them, because he was saying even the first season that that. He was very familiar with them even in the first season. You just never see them. And they seemed familiar with him, too. Yes. They weren't immediately hostile to him. And in fact, it seems like they're not immediately hostile to anybody who isn't hostile or has done something to offend them. You kind of see a different you, side yeah, you, of the you, sand people you in this episode. Their lands. I think that was what he was saying. And if you invade their lands or try and cross their lands without first getting their blessing, they, it's an affront and an assault. And that, and so you have to get their blessing. And if you do, they won't bother you kind of thing. And this is, yeah. a, but this is, this is a, step above that this is him beyond just being allowed to cross their land he's straight up interacting with them like at the and camps. sharing a sharing a fire with yeah. them and probably food and drink and yeah and, and, and here's my he, thought there's only one way you're going to end up earning the respect of raiders you know what happened Oh, that he probably had to kill a bunch of them at one time? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which, I'm the only reason I, I bring that up is we'll get is it will play into a bit of the story further on. Um, so he gets all the way up to the mining town, and he enters basically the bar. I thought it was interesting that he just left the baby in the side bag. And yeah, yeah, except, of course, us knowing Baby Yoda like we did, or do, uh, Baby Yoda <laughs> hopped his way out and came along, mm-hmm. um, and he talks to the bartender and says, hey, I'm looking for a Mandalorian, and the guy's like, well, I don't, what's that? What's a Mandalorian? Blah, 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 blah. And looks uh, like he me. goes, someone who looks like me. And uh, he says, well, the marshal looks like you. And he's like, the marshal's a Mandalorian. And he goes, ask him yourself. And you turn around and you see a very, very, very familiar set of armor. Very familiar set of armor, but not a very familiar set of body that is in that armor, without a doubt. You can tell with, there is no, I mean, whoever, it's like, you look at the armor and obviously we we know who's in it if you know you you read the the show and saw the 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 guest stars um like i didn't but thankfully buddy did and he's he helped us out um but you can tell physically not even close to boba at all yeah no the the armor while he's able to wear it it's not made for him it doesn't fit quite right it doesn't look quite right but it's Boba Fett's armor, without a doubt. You, without a doubt, it's Boba Fett's you armor. Look at you can that tell and you're from like, the coloring. Oh, shit, it's, it's all Boba beat Fett's the fuck armor. Up. And this is this is adapted from a, I believe, a Star Wars Adventures comic. This part of of the lore. So hey, it's now canon again. Hey, by the way, can the, I the ask Cobb... something though? Yes. Be, okay, because 
well, and I'll, actually, let me let, let's go down this a little bit further because they have an interaction. Um, and I'll actually once we get to the the part in the story, I'll ask my question. But they get to interact, and he's like, he, he's like, well, and he explains that how we got the armor. He's really upfront about it. He's not trying to pull. Yeah, no, he's a he's very honorable about it. Yeah, and um, you um, know, he says, hey, let's have a drink, and they get the the spotchka stuff or whatever that we've heard mentioned from time to time over the course of the show. They go Mas and sit Pelgo. down, and it's Pelgo, Moss Pelgo, yeah, Sorry. and then. You you visibly see the Mandalorian like flinch when Timothy Oliphant takes the helmet off so he can drink. He's like, "What the fuck?" Yeah, and, and then I think that's when he puts two and two together that oh, this isn't a Mandalorian. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's like, "No, I got the he I got the armor off of Jawas and everything like that." And he explains the whole backstory, and that's when the Mando's like, uh. uh you're going to give me the armor. Yeah. And they, yeah. So, and the backstory is really brief after the empire collapsed and we got to see a hologram of the death star mm-hmm. blowing up the second one. And, uh, the town is immediately attacked in the new power vacuum by like a trading guild or like whatever. A mining guild, mining guild. The and he escapes and rather. steals, a container of crystals and then wanders in the deserts till Jawas find him. And, and then he gives them the crystals for the armor, and then he goes back and liberates the town. Now, one thing, my favorite part about the story that he told mm-hmm. was, one, I liked his blaster. His blaster looked really cool. Yeah. But two, I didn't realize, and I'm going to have to go back and watch, like, Return of the Jedi, but I didn't realize that thing on on Boba Fett's helmet was a targeting thing for the missile on his back. Oh, I didn't you... realize it would rotate over in front of his visor so he could lock the missile on. I had Where no idea. Where have I seen that? I've seen that actually in a in a, uh, a couple's helmets, and I saw it. I've seen. I don't know. Remember if it was in the movies or not? But uh, like I re- I knew that it did that. But I didn't I, I know. Didn't, I, maybe I maybe I knew that once upon a time, but it I I had forgotten. But I thought that was really cool. I had to, but I want to say it wasn't. It wasn't until recently that I found it out because I was curious about. I want to say it was once the this Mandalorian hit, right? The Mando hit, and the helmet. Yeah. His helmet didn't have that thing. I was like, well, what the fuck is it? Yeah, and some like, of them do, and some of them do, antenna. and some of them don't. Fucking antenna on the top of its goddamn helmet. What the hell is it for? It's a weird fucking antenna. And so I Which, looked into I mean, what it was, an anten- and it was like an antenna would make sense. I mean, they have they have to be able to communicate somehow. So I mean, the antenna isn't out of the realm of possibility, right? Well, anyway, I looked it up, and that was when it was like it said it was a targeting, and I was like, and and after that, I want to say it was in. Um, uh the clone wars in one of the final episodes i want to say the blonde guy the the darth maul special hootie booty guy. oh yeah yeah the, the maul delorean whatever yeah, his name i want to say yeah, that yeah. he had one on his and he used it or somebody during that fight maybe. did one and maybe I, maybe I saw it in action I, but that was like it wasn't it was and then i want to say i saw it again when i was watching one uh it was i was watching some movie i don't remember like i said i don't remember it could have been just the, the maybe it was clone attack wars. of the clones it maybe maybe Django did it in attack of the clones it could have been it god it could have been which again we'll we'll get into a little bit of this because this is all gonna matter 
Um, yeah, you know, do do the thing that you wanted to do. So do the then, thing you wanted to do. Right. So then all of a sudden, fuck the as they're about to just like to to have their little quick draw moment, um, which thankfully it didn't turn out like uh, Han's Han in the bar on Solo in the bar, his bar shootout, um, because you get this awesome scene of a uh, freaking uh, what was it uh, the uh, not a, I. I Oh, what are they called? The crate dragon. Yes, the crate dragon. Um, the through. mythical crate dragon, which hereto before had only been seen in as a skeleton in A New Hope and mm-hmm. in Star Wars: Knights of the Old Republic, the original video game. There was a crate mm-hmm. dragon that you had to kill to get a star map. Anyways, mm-hmm. go on. And. That crate dragon is threatening the town and everything like that, and they basically—that's where they make the deal to go kill the thing together, and that's so they go off to do that. Now I'm wondering. Well, okay, so this crate dragon is giant, right? It's huge. Yes, um, massive, and it's. It eats Sarlacc. It eats a Sarlacc, yes. It ate a Sarlacc. Do you think the Sarlacc it ate was the one that Boba Fett was in? No. No? Just because of the distance between where Jabba's palace, I think, was closer to Moss Eisley. Okay. It was, I mean, it's never said, but it's kind of implied that it's closer to Moss Eisley. Well, no, and... I was looking it up because uh, it's the what was it, the Dune Sea or something like that is where where he yes. was eaten. Yes. Well, but so here's the other thing is uh, Timothy Oliphant's character Cobb mm-hmm. uh, says that he had never seen. There's no such thing as an empty Sarlacc pit. So it seems to me like Sarlaccs are all over the place. I mean, okay. not probably super common, but it seems like there's multiple Sarlacc pits. Like, yes, everybody knows there's a Sarlacc pit 10 miles that way or whatever. And so, at no, the bottom I, of the Sarlacc, every Sarlacc pit has a Sarlacc. It's not this one. Well, and I mean, and it also didn't look like geographically. It didn't look anything like where the one was in Return of the Jedi. So and the only reason I'm kinda at, I kind of wonder is because obviously he... Bulba had to get out to get the armor out, or something had to get the armor out of the Sarlacc. And yes. all I can think is, you know, I I was just I'm just ultimately trying to think of how the Jawas came across the armor, or either or how did Bulba get out? Um, and well, the old canon says that the Mandalorian armor protected him from the from the sarlacc being able to kill him and he blasted his way out and then which i think we see is entirely possible based upon how other yes based upon other things in the episode and then he basically but the but the the fumes or something being from being in the sarlacc caused him to lose his memory and he you know as he went out into the desert not knowing who he was the armor was too warm for him and he stripped it, ended up stripping it off and it was found by the Jawas and then so found its way really to, gone, to Cobb. Gone heavy this. I mean, this sounds like the, like they really just went went with the comic book. 
it sounds to me like they are really going to be canonizing a lot of things and utilizing with this, to this season. Yeah. I, yeah. So I'm all, and I'm down for it. That's awesome. That's a cool, that's cool. I like that touch. Yeah. Well, and you see the other thing is they mentioned that the crate dragon had been terrorizing the region for a long time. So uh, yeah. that's, I mean, that's another, another thing saying that it's a different Sarlacc pit that that dragon ended up living in. Um, Okay. But yeah, so yeah. so they go off to hey, I know where it lives and you know, they're riding through the desert and they're kind of talking and you know, like Cobb is obviously a good guy. Like you you like him. You like him immediately. You, and you, I think I felt I think like... the Mandalorian even likes him too, but he's like, "Hey, my honor says you have to give me the armor, so we're going to make this deal. I'll help you kill the crate dragon, you give me the armor." Right, and I think that, and the, yeah, there there were definite times where I had I questioned, only because I've learned to <clears throat> to question everything um, and every character they introduce in any show. Um, I kept wanting to be like, okay, he's giving me all the reasons to believe he's an all right guy and that he's you know that I that I'm I'm gonna like this guy, but at the same time. I, you know, I feel like if they make him too likable right at the start, they always turn it in the end to be like, haha, you shouldn't have liked him so much. Um, but, 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 um, this is Star Wars. And one yeah, thing that Star they... Wars has always done is be really clear about who the good guys are and who the bad guys are. Um, with, I mean, with a couple of exceptions. Yes, uh, for the most part, it's very. Here's the white hats. Here's the black hats. Mm -hmm. Right. So uh, that's that. And with that in mind, it's more they just keep giving you reasons to reasons while you might distrust him at first. You you start you, you right from the beginning. You start to like him, and then you realize, okay, I can you can trust that he's about what he came across as in the start. That's how I felt. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and he's a really honorable guy, uh, which I think the Mandalorian respects about him. Uh, but so they go on their way to the Sarlacc pit. He says, I know where it lives. And Mando has a plan. Oh, I'll just kill it from my spaceship. And he's like, it'll it'll never appear if your spaceship's above it. Um, and they come to a, a canyon and they uh, they come to a stop, and then these uh, dog-looking things, which we did see actually in Attack of the Clones, mm -hmm. uh, come out. And Mando starts making noises, and the next thing you know, he's petting one of them like it's a German Shepherd puppy. Um, <laughs> nice touch too. I really like that scene, dude. Yeah, where it's um, like, dude, this thing looks like a monster, and then it turns out to be just exactly like a domesticated dog. Mm -hmm. And then it's Tuscan, their Tuscan Raider masters appear. And again, we see Mando's uh, negotiating skills and his, his prowess with the Tuscan Raider uh, dialect. He discovers that they also want the Crate Dragon dead. And a deal is struck that the Tuscans will help them kill it as long as they get to keep the the viscera, the body. They want they want the corpse. And so they come up with a plan on how to do it. 
after a little bit of a, a visit to the <laughs> they do a visit to the cave to the old Starlack pit and that's, that's where you, you find that, out oh. that yeah, that's that quote <laughs> that line it's live it's living in an old Starlack there's no such thing as an abandoned Starlack pit there is if you eat the Starlack <laughs> <laughs> right Oh yeah, God, and then that, that was a good one. And then the the Tuscan Raider takes the Bantha up as an offering, and they yell to wake <laughs> it up. And then you're like, "Oh well, this Bantha is about to get chomped." And then it chomps the Tuscan Raider and leaves the the Bantha <laughs> completely Bantha. alone. Yeah. Uh, like, man, Bantha's got doing. the Bantha's got the fucking raw end of the deal in this one, didn't they? They were they just really getting did. they were getting messed up left and right. Like in the back at Moss uh, Pelgo, they. It, one got eaten there, and then freaking that one got left out in f- the front of the door. However, did you notice? <clears throat> well, we'll get there. But the guy that that left the bantha there, dude needed to run faster because obviously he did not have the speed needed to get. Oh the yeah, way. well, I mean, obviously, I think he thought the bantha was much more appetizing than he was, but he was wrong. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And that was big thing was like, yeah, I know what the fuck you're doing. Yeah. So they, so their plan that they come up with, with, uh, gin negotiating, uh, between the marshal and the Tuscan Raiders is they come up with a plan and the marshal obviously doesn't like Tuscan Raiders. Their village gets raided. You see that there's a longstanding conflict between the, the people of Mos, Mos Pelgo and the Raiders where each one of them looks at each other's side like they're the bad guy. And you see them still being hospitable to him. They offer him a fruit that he cracks open and it stinks and he doesn't want to drink what's in the, the it's almost a coconut looking thing. Yeah. And they're and they get mad because they're like, hey, you steal our water and now you refuse to drink it. And like you You've you see that there's some us. Yeah, you see there's a deep rooted mistrust and hatred between uh, right between Cobb and the the Tuscans. Ah, but I here's what I would actually say. I th- I actually got an almost different feeling about it. I it, I th- I felt like there was the dis that you know there was that enemies right. But at the same time, I felt like the the reason why they listened to the Mando and they actually gave them a chance was because of respect because he has killed so many of them no maybe maybe it's the same kind of thing as the mando it's like you've killed a lot of us and so at that point in time okay we'll give you the respect but maybe not friendship not the anything that's earned but at least you know this is you have our respect to to say that we are willing to do these to try this like i mean if they didn't have the respect there's a chance that they might have not even felt like the mission would have succeeded and thus not even tried. Yeah. So, um, so I got so a you feeling see, of respect there, but yeah. And, and you see, you see the Mandalorian is like, Hey, look, you guys have to put this shit aside for, if we're going to kill this thing, we can't be fighting ourselves. And so you see them kind of shelve it. And then they come up with a plan to kill the crate dragon. And, using the Mandalorian as the go-between, he basically volunteers the citizens of Mos Pelgo to reinforce the Tuscans, and they are going to work together. 
to kill this crate dragon. Um, and of course you see the animosity between the two, even though they're working together, but you also see Cobb kind of take on a little bit of what the Mandalorian was trying to impress upon him. You know, that, that Tuscan drops that explosive and that citizen gets pissed mm -hmm. and you see Cobb step up, step up in between and be the peacemaker in defending the Tuscan Raiders. So mm -hmm. you saw the growth and of course they made a deal saying, Hey, look, you know, we kill the crate dragon, we keep the corpse and what what's in it. And as long as your people don't attack us, we will leave your village alone. Um, Until you so shoot I, first. Yes, if you shoot first, then it's it's See, war. It's over. But as long as you don't but shoot a peace, first, we a won't. Peace. Yeah, a, a peace. peace treaty. And actually, I kind of wonder if their relationship evolved even further after the successful hunt if they maybe the Tuscans started protecting uh, Mos Plago or Pelgo or however it said. I'm, uh, there's a lot that's if, actually going to be, I think, I'm curious to find out how much it plays in. Because even the, the uh, Raiders, the Tuscan Raiders, they, for a while, didn't they follow that? He, he ended up being a fallen Jedi. Um but they yes uh they asherod het yeah uh which i mean i'll be interested to see if something comes from him in, in during this too because it's it's very possible what was his it's timeline? very possible wasn't it was his clone book? wars his was clone, clone wars. wars okay so i mean not and then again if you follow his timeline out long enough mm -hmm. um he he had a major role to play uh in the future after with like luke's grandson uh um, okay. he fell to the dark side not luke's grandson but but asherod het yeah uh became darth crate as in crate dragon because mm -hmm. he he lived he's from tatooine and lived among the sand people after the clone wars that's how he hid um so they could be so doing could something with that be alive right now too he could technically be alive yes absolutely so anyway, um, so that's that yeah. was one of the reasons why I was actually really interested in the whole sand people thing is um, not only there's there's that connection that the sand people also have to the the Jedi, so we'll, yeah, we'll which is not canon currently, but could be, could be because right. because they definitely canonized a bunch of stuff with this one. Um, yep. So anyway, they there's this big battle with the crate dragon. Yes, um, they make a plan. They're going to bury explosives at the mouth of the cave and lure it out and blow it up because its underbelly is its only weak point. And wrong. So they wrong. Well, I mean, they're not. They weren't wrong, but they their plan <laughs> their plan did not go well. Um, and the crate dragon is seemingly invincible. Uh, after they're they're shooting ballista bolts into it with ropes attached, and they uh, and then that, you know they're th the they're throwing out, explosives. I it was it venom or acid? To me, it seemed like acid. It seemed like acid, but I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It was green. It was nasty, and it was it killed whatever it touched. Yeah, I mean, so they ended up detonating the explosives, but it didn't do the job. And, just pissed it off like and and the crate dragon was able to tunnel its way up through whatever it wants rock 
dirt, wherever it wants to go, apparently it's powerful enough to go. To go. So um, the fact that it, and it goes, tear it the comes town out. Down, <coughs> yeah, and it comes it comes out the top of the mountain and and Jin and Cobb use their rocket packs and go up and are shooting at it close range until they have you know, until the dragon's like, All right, you're annoying me enough, I'm gonna try to eat you and they fly away. And then the Mando comes up with a plan. He um, sees it. Another banta. Full of explosives. And <laughs> so you know, he goes, uh, I have a plan. And he goes, well, what's your plan? He goes, well, I need you to watch the kid. And he goes, what are you going to do? I don't know. And then he, like, activates his ro- – activates <laughs> Cobb's rocket pack for him. And Cobb goes off. flying off. <laughs> and Mando Just lures the crate dragon. And you see the crate dragon swallow him in the bantha hole. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, obviously we know it's not the end for Mando. See, uh, uh, the <laughs> season ep- one episode, first episode, he's dead. Yes, season two. He's gone. He's gone. It's First now. It really is the now. It really is the Baby Yoda show. Um, but you anyway, see him use his pulse rifle to electrocute it, and and he's that was able a good to escape. Scene. That was a good. That was cool. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was. You just really sit great. there, and I like the the suspense, the build that they have, and then you see it just come out, and it's freaking entire mouth, and everything's just electrified. That. The cinematography of that scene was great for whoever the special effects and uh, CGI guys were developing that. It, it well, looked. You cool. can tell. You can tell they definitely have a bigger budget for the show this year because <laughs> some of the effects on the first season, like with them on speeder bikes and whatever, looked kind of hokey. Mm-hmm. And not this time. And, and not how in about this that time. Different speeder bike that uh, Voss had. Or what? What's his oh, name? Uh, oh, Cobb. Cobb oh, Vance. Excuse me. Yeah, Vance. Well, so that's one of the Easter eggs in the show. Is people think it looks a lot like the engine from Anakin's pod, from Episode One, from his pod racer. People are thinking that that's a that that is part of Anakin's pod is Original his speeder. Pod. Oh, yeah. You know, I, one, I, I can see that. I thought it looked like that. It does. It looks like a pod racer engine for sure, but people are like, oh, people are saying that it's Anakin. So, I mean, that's, I could see it being a cool little neat Easter egg, but I, uh, you know, until somebody speaks up and says, oh, yes, that's what it is. That's what we did. Um, Hard to believe, you know. but yeah, it's like, I could see it. I could see it. So we'll watch that one. Well, I just, I remember that Qui Gon sold the pod. Mm hmm. So did he sell it to somebody that stayed on Tatooine? Because it sounded like pod racing was something that people traveled around the galaxy doing, like on a circuit or whatever. So, you know, who knows? Anyway, it's not in the long run. It's nowhere near important. But Mando detonates the Bantha bomb and the crate dragon, (laughs) the crate crate dragon dies. Uh, I think I broke guy. Uh, uh, sorry, it sounds so. Anyway, like victory. A bath bomb. <laughs> it's a bantha bomb. Yeah. The bantha bomb. Anyway, victory is achieved, and you see the <laughs> the sand people and the raiders are are and the the villagers and everybody they're going about the pa- oh. the process of carving the thing up. And the but, the scene where he actually drinks the while they're all prepping for the the initial attack, and you see yeah yeah you see him drinking the mm-hmm. stuff yeah yeah, uh, just but a good uh, episode. Uh, it really was 
talk well, hold about on, a western. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on, dude. Oh, sorry. Hold on. We gotta. We gotta. We gotta. Before we go there, we gotta. We gotta handle Finish one other thing real quick. I know the big part. So no, no, you're 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 farther along even than I am. Mm. Something very interesting. A couple interesting things in this in this part with them harvesting the crate dragon. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You, yeah. See, you see a Tuscan raider pull a giant pearl out mm. of the crate dragon. Yes. So I that's a crate dragon that. pearl. The first appearance of a crate dragon pearl was in Knights of the Old Republic, the original game. When you killed the crate dragon, you got a pearl, and it was used as a lightsaber crystal. Uh, so they might have just canonized Knights of the Old Republic with that one little thing because they took it from somewhere. They even took a lot of the aspects of the battle from the video game. The Got remember it. the plan in the game was you lured the crate dragon out into the field of explosives that you laid out for it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they did that on the game back in 2003 and they just did, just it, did it again in the Mandalorian. So, and then there's a crate dragon pearl. I mean, come on. Right. Pretty well, cool stuff, but No, wow. Okay, so yeah, the crate dragon pearl, I was wondering about that because it was like I didn't I knew there was significance, but damn, that's that. I mean, they they showed it for a reason, right? Yeah, yeah, and that was kind of what I felt like. Is I was like, whoa, they're really excited about that. But and you know, I know what comes down to again, dude. Het, Asherod Het, Asherod Het. Yeah, possible, possibly. He may very, want very that. possible. But they're uh, you know they're also carving the meat. And the mm-hmm. bones, and you see Mando has a huge chunk of crate dragon meat on the back of his speeder, mm-hmm. and uh, you have his final a baby. <laughs> yeah, you have his final interaction with Cobb, uh, where Cobb surrenders the armor, and they part as friends, and says, "I hope our paths cross again." And and uh, so I think we will be seeing more of Timothy Oliphant's character. I hope so. Uh, he in, was a good in later line, episodes. Like I like Timothy Oliphant. I like him as an actor, and he's yes. always good no matter what he plays. Um, so, yes, yeah, seeing more of him and more of that character wouldn't hurt my feelings. Although, dude, if you had, if you had bet me, there was a big part of me that thought that Mando was going to let him keep the armor. And I have to say I was a little disappointed that he didn't. Um, say, like, you earned this, but his code of honor, dude, the, the code... This is the way. The way says that he has to, he has to claim that arm. So. This is it's gonna which is leads me. I mean, obviously, are are we to the 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 where I was or just a second ago, or are we still? Is there a couple other things in between? No, we're there. We're there because okay. after him and Cobb part ways and say, "Hey, I hope we, our paths cross again," he goes riding off, and then that's when we get to the reveal of reveals which is oh you see you see boba um obviously well, it's uh what's his name uh you see tamura morrison tamura, yeah tamura, yeah garbed and weaponed as a tuscan raider he's wearing tuscan robes he has gaffy sticks and mm-hmm. whatnot on his back but that is tamura morrison who we know played jango fett in attack of the clones and we know that boba, boba and all the other clones are from his genetic material. They're all clones of him. All the clones, Boba Fett, Captain Rex, the Bad Batch, all of them. Every clone that we know 
is from Django Fett. Mm-hmm. And we know Boba was on Tatooine. And he and, obviously escaped the Sarlacc. And he obviously escaped the Sarlacc. So, so that is Boba at, Fett. What, yeah, he came out of the Sarlacc and probably ended up... Do you think... Do Yeah, like the comic. It's like all I can think is at this point in time, this is like this is like Legends um, that's out there. And they're, they're canonizing that portion of it. Uh, they may change motivations. They may change little details about it. But it sounds like they're keeping that a huge amount of the same. Um, it's going to be And it seems like... It seems like Boba wants his armor back, too. Yeah, but he wants it back because it's sentimental. Boba isn't a Mandalorian. Jango was a Mandalorian. He was actually a Mandalorian Mandalorian. Um, he was part also the reason that he took down the Death Watch, um, is what I found out. And then it was obviously yes. reinstated. But Jango took down the Death Watch. And then... So Boba's attachment to the armor, he eventually starts wearing his father's his father's armor um, at, at some point during his bounty hunting stuff. And so it was a personal attachment. However, this is the interesting part. You know, you know Jango raised him as a Mandalorian. Yes. So yes. doesn't that by proxy even though he doesn't associate isn't technically one doesn't in that some ways make him kind of one well i mean he I'm didn't just... take the he didn't as far as we've ever seen in anything that boba fett has ever shown up in mm-hmm. he's never taken the helmet off so if he truly lost his memories in the Sarlacc pit, if that's how they're going to play it and that's how they're going to explain that his armor, uh, how his armor ended up with the Jawas, then he, you might be able to make a case that says that Boba Fett follows the ways of the Mandalore. Mm-hmm. Which at that point in time, if he made a pledge, he, it's like there's a chance. So I will be curious to see where they go with his character because this is the first time, I mean, this is really the first time Boba Fett may actually get some real screen time like oh he's definitely gonna get more screen time in this season of the mandalorian than he than in anything else combined Mm -hmm. because he he's never had more than bits ever yeah yeah and and he's a he's a legendary right uber popular character and he's barely in anything People love um, this fucking character, and so but I the think legends, some... but the legends verse, the 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 old EU stuff is what really helped him become that legend. Is they did a lot of stories and a lot of comics and a lot of novels around around him. Boba Fett, exactly. But screen time wise, he just never showed up. But yes, yeah, barely, barely uh, at all, like less could... less than ten minutes, I think, total in everything he's uh, on which screen. Spawned a huge following for him, which obviously created all the. The literature that followed after that um and it just for that little bit of screen time and i mean even down to them Django, because Django was never really he was developed from boba because of how big boba was and i mean the the Django story alone and his um influence that he had on the overall um direction of the star wars universe the canon wise um it's huge and again that all spawned from this little 
bit part of a bounty hunter that goes <laughs> what it wasn't the first time we saw him his the, his uh jetpack ends up getting shot or something and he goes flying off who boba yeah uh, the first time you see Boba Fett is on the death or is on the bridge of the Super Star Destroyer, where uh, Vader is giving instructions about how to track down the Millennium Falcon, mm-hmm. oh, okay. and he wants them alive. That's where you first see Boba. Yes, and then okay. he shows up on Cloud City and assists with the capture and takes possession of Han Solo. And then, yes, in Return of the Jedi, you see him involved That's in the it. battle at the Sarlacc pit. And he ends up meeting his his fate when Han has something like Boba is shooting at Luke and Han hits his rocket pack with a like the butt of a blaster and activates it. And Boba flies into the side of Jabba's sail barge and rolls down into the Sarlacc pit. Much like, oh, which is much like actually what happened to, <laughs> actually, um, back to the episode <laughs> when freaking... Uh, Mando hits uh, Vance's hits hits Cobb's the same rocket one. pack. Yeah, yeah. same, same the same pack. the same pack. Yeah. Oh, then that's a that funny little line that Cobb had. Hey, you tell your people I didn't break that thing. <laughs> like, <laughs> yes. When he's getting ready to zoom off, he's like, "You tell them I didn't do that." That was a line. That was a that was an Easter egg back to, to Han. And I think it was. Yeah, I think it was without a doubt. So there you go. So, and that yeah. is one that Filled. I can tell you I have not seen anywhere. So. Bam, we're yeah. going to take credit for that one first. Bam, that's right. You heard it here first, people. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Maybe you heard it somewhere else. But If you haven't heard it, you heard it here first. And I, I, don't, I haven't right. seen anybody else say anything about it. So they can, they can you know, yeah. <clears throat> they can kiss our grits and whatnot. But bam. But, this but yeah, an, an Easter egg filled episode, a wonderful uh, action packed it was a western. Uh, episode that ex- it was a western, and it expanded on on so many things that we've seen in various outlets of Star Wars over the years. To have so Gave, much canon, but again, I mean, honestly, the the biggest takeaway I have from this episode is the new understanding we have of the Tusken Raiders and their culture. Mm-hmm. We, I think, for we always thought that they were just these mindless savages, these criminals, these these desert pirates that went and pillaged and, and raided and killed and mauled. But it seems like they only do that to people that they feel have affronted them or offended them or disrespected them or attacked them first. Um, they ventured they into their like, lands without a, a approval, all those kind of things. It's like the stuff for them that would be really important and matter because obviously they're hunting grounds and all those, that's their way of life and they, they need to protect it. I mean, it's a pretty obvious parallel to the Native Americans mm-hmm. in the United States uh, where you have these settlers coming onto their land and, and of course their, their reaction to it is hostile. Um, where they're not meaning to be disrespectful, but it comes out that they are, and they get attacked, and then they fight back, and then there's this animosity. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, this new understanding of of the Sand People, I think, is my personal biggest takeaway of this episode, is they're, they're much more than we thought they were. And uh, I hope we get to see more like that. Um, I will say... I was a little shocked at how little Baby Yoda there was in this episode. 
he really was an obs. He a lot of observation on his part. He just watched. Yes, he did not interact. Uh, you did see some little like he was peeking at doing some cute stuff, peeking out and then hiding when things were getting scary. And um, but yeah, not much baby Yoda, but uh, I don't think that's going to be a trend that continues for much longer. Right. Uh, I, I think it's going to be interesting when they bring Sabine back into into the whole thing, because she, again, is a Mandalorian that takes off her helmet. Yes. And so um, it's going to be interesting when you see the two different um, sects <laughs> cross meet. Because she was a Mandalorian from Mandalore versus um, what he is as far as the, the, found, the foundling kind of thing. Yeah, the creed. The, the, the followers of the creed of the Mandalore yeah. as opposed to, to the the race of people or from, or people from the planet Mandalore. Yes. It's going to be very interesting. And I would like to, I think we'll hopefully see some more, um, just some clarification of how the two relate to each other. I think it'll be very interesting. I think um, Boba is going to serve some means of that. Just because possibly. I feel like, I feel like you're going to get to the point where the Mandalorian doesn't know exactly what to make of Boba Fett. Um, I feel like he's going to, it's going to be one of those things that is another, uh, another mechanism for growth and development for the, the, the character. Um, because it's again, like what I was talking about while he's not a Mandalorian, he was, I'm, there is nothing in me that says Django wouldn't have raised him like a Mandalorian. All of his other clones were Imperial soldiers. This was like his child, and this was like the last, you know, to him, the last of the Mandalorians, in uh, at least of his line or whatever. So yeah, yeah, he had he had intentions for for Boba, for sure. Um, so, yeah, I'm curious, obviously, to see where all of this goes. Um, I feel like Boba will be a like big Boba, factor. Boba will like in be the, a, like a chosen one? I don't know. I don't know. But I think he'll be... I think the next episode is going to be Boba Fett heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, at least I hope so. It would be I, interesting I would hate... to the, the moment when Boba gets his armor back and you have that donning of the helmet. Um, well, I think, I think be... honestly, there's a part of me that wonders if Boba won't travel with him to go and get the armor repaired. Right. Oh, um, see, and then, okay, and this, dependent on how well this Boba does fare, I think you may see the potential oh, they're, for they're, their test Dude, they're, they're 100% setting him up for his own show. 100%. Which see, they, but how I will mean, that fly with? I mean, not not to say I don't want to see a show with Boba, but two man, two shows about Mandalorians, basically. So what? Who cares? It's if if it's more Star Wars and it's done well, that's like saying, oh, because we're getting Ahsoka in in the Mandalorian, we also don't need the Obi Wan show because it's two shows about Jedi. I mean, come on. Okay. Okay. Come well, on. now, but hey, hey, you see. This is my feeling, 
and one of the things that I, I would wouldn't mind seeing from the Mandalorian because again they we were talking when we were looking they're planning five seasons right at least oh I think the show is gonna go as long as everybody involved wants to keep doing it I wouldn't mind them using this as a segue for say the Mando to create his own sect of I don't know I don't want to say but his own almost bounty hunting group or Mandalorian group. I think, I honestly think that we will see something along those lines. So like, like a if Boba it goes, Mando, if, like heavy, sh- like both of them on the show. And instead a, a, as the, like, you know, team members that to me written well, and I think it can be written well, would be amazing. I would see that. Well, I mean, what I think is going to happen sooner or later is with the with i think we're gonna when we finally meet ahsoka Mm -hmm. we're going to discover that she has had a temple or school or whatever you want to call it of jedi hidden Mm -hmm. for a long time for a long long time and baby yoda will be eventually taken in there but even though his obligation will be over at that point, what I think you'll see is is Jindarin starting a what did they call it a covert? Uh, you know, like where all you know the thing on on Navarro <laughs> where all the other Mandalorians lived, mm-hmm. where they're in partnership and service with the Jedi. I mm-hmm. think that is the ultimate direction that they're going to take. Um, and then I think they'll use that eventually as a launch point for other stories mm-hmm. is that there's this secret army for back, lack of a better terms of honorable good guys ready and just kind of maybe waiting for the right time to make their presence known in the galaxy. Pause. Uh, yes. Because pause. at that point in time, if that's the case, right? It answers the quick question of, in The Rise of Skywalker, when they put out that distress call for all those fucking ships, where the hell did they come from? Oh, well, yeah. Well, I mean, that's part of it. They came from, they're just people. They're just people. There's ships all over the, like, there is definitely, but you there's saw been some, some pretty. Seri- you saw some serious ships in, in that whole jump. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and you I, saw you saw some some famous ships too. Some ships that have you heard now whether voices, they were you heard Ahsoka's voice. You did hear Ahsoka's voice, yes. So at um, that point in time and I think okay, here and here's another reason. Which why some think, people which but some people are like, is she dead or is she not dead? Was she just able to I feel this is pre- what, we're gonna this answer this will end this show is gonna answer that question. Um but I'm feeling like now, I feel like she was out there. I feel like she was part of part of that armada, and because of this the, of where the show's going, if you're right, I would completely feel like she was out there. It's super possible. It's super possible. Because um, um, you know, I you know me. You know the one of my biggest things that I ever say when it comes to Star Wars and the Jedi is I do not like putting limits on the Force. Um, 
and her 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 choosing that moment to re-enter the galaxy or be come back to the galactic stage to support uh this final battle against the sith you know and and her being able to sense what is happening with ray and how she, and how she's reaching out to the other jedi to be able to join in that communion even though she's still alive is something that is very very possible um do you think or or jj accidentally painted them into a corner i mean it's hard to say right it's hard to say i there's some things that i i mean that i you end up really kind of thinking about because that's the other thing is you know how they were able to sense each other do you i mean do you think there was a little bit of a the whole force dyad going on between ahsoka and anakin i mean people have been talking about it uh i don't know if that's a dyad in the same way that luke could sense vader Mm -hmm. i think it's the bond um I think it's the force bond, which I don't think is the same thing as a dyad. Okay. Um, we've seen force bonds in various outlets, you know. Um, the, the only I reason think, I'm think, asking is because it's sort of like, I, I don't know, there's just, there's a theme, but I don't know. It's, uh, like I said, just it was one of the ones that was out there. Um, well, I mean, even... Who was it? Wasn't it Palpatine that said that dyads are extremely rare? So I mean, for all of a sudden, everything to be a dyad would be kind of dumb, right? Um, <laughs> you know, wouldn't be so, abnormal for the them to do it, but yes, it would be. It dumb. wouldn't be. It wouldn't be. But I trust Filoni and Favs to be smarter and better storytellers Tellers than that. that. Um, no, no. I just the only reason I, I guess I wonder is is. Because it definitely sets up the idea of, um, I think, her having some connection ultimately more to Kylo than it was she he would she would have to Ray say, but anyhow, um, still that 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 whole idea that. I don't know. I feel like she's out there. And if, if we're going to see this and, oh, but do you, you know why it was obviously, I mean, they, they cast Rosario, Rosario Dawson as uh, <clears throat> um, Ahsoka. But the whole reason they used her voice it, like they did, um, and I, I part of the reason why I feel like it was meant just to, you know, to say that she is alive and she was there, um over the the idea that she was dead um ultimately just comes to uh uh oh there's a pothole and i haven't even had anything to smoke i think it's just (laughs) fucking a um what was it but why it speaks to why uh, she's alive uh, anyway it, i just i the way i felt it the way I, I i see it but they they used her voice uh what the the uh what's her name the the normal actress ultimately the, the, for fan recognition the, the voice actress from yeah. the cartoon yes ashley, ashley something or other. yeah they they ashley uh, they needed to they needed something that people recognized and they know her voice and that's ahsoka's voice it has been and it all you know that's and if they had used another anybody, anybody else, nobody would have known who the fuck the voice belonged to until somebody said it was Ahsoka. And then they would have been like, well, why didn't they just use Ashley Exon? Eric's? 
Ecker, whatever her name was. Um, but um, why didn't they just use her? And so mm-hmm. I think there was a there was a recognition portion of it, and the whole reason yeah, they used no, it sure. and had to use her voice and not the actual character is they didn't want to be painted into putting the character and having specifically the character there and not be able to pull away from who who was cast as Ahsoka. But at the same time, they wanted to make sure you knew that Ahsoka was one of the people uh, bond there offering her force, the force powers and, and to Rey at the same time, all the Jedi kind of thing. So I feel like it was just... They utilized the voice and they utilized how that was to A, avoid having to cast anybody and B, um, to, to state that she was A, part of the universe and from there they can spin it as alive or dead it, however they want to use her in the future stories and however they want it to play out. They now have that freedom. They say, she's in the universe, she's there, boom. And now they can say, well, she was alive, yeah. Yeah. Um. So I think it was on purpose, and I think she was there because I just don't think she's dead dead yet. I think she's. I yeah no that would be I mean it would be wise of them to explain that she is alive at that point. I think unless of course you know they choose this season to um, kill her, show us her ultimate fate. It's possible. I it's mean, very right? possible. It, you're yeah yeah it could be, but. I mean, we know based on interviews from like Giancarlo Esposito, for example, has said he broke how many of the prop dark sabers <laughs> in he didn't yeah. he didn't do that by dropping them. No, he's they said that he them. was just he was going like hard at Yeah, the, he was going attacks. ham with yeah. that thing. He's hard as a motherfucker. Yeah, he so, was not yeah. holding back and pulling the shots. So yeah, there's so, gonna definitely be some really awesome I think fight scenes and things like that, but I just I don't know. I feel like I feel like after the, watching the, all the Clone Wars, from the first introduction of Ahsoka all the way to the end that we watched just recently, they just started to kind of give you the tip of the iceberg as far as. Ahsoka's meant to be a whole lot bigger part of the galaxy. They 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 just had her kind of keep building up and building up and building up and building up, and they never I never felt like you got the full conclusion of who and what Ahsoka was because after the Clone Wars, obviously you have Rebels that occurs, and we already know what happens in Rebels and what a big part she was in that. Well, I mean, it would be. It would be a very, very bad move for them to throw away a character with her popularity. And so I'm just thinking that in the end, she's going to be a whole lot more influential to, say, this new order of Jedi than, than unfortunately, Luke and his school. And she, I think, remained hidden. Um... And I think we're going to find out why she remained hidden. Well, you know, the the other cool thing about Ahsoka, if if she goes this route that is that we're speculating about. Is it's honestly, truthfully, 
maybe even a better representation of the continuation of the Skywalker legacy mm-hmm. because she's Anakin's student. And yeah, she, she, her, her training other Jedi in the way that she was trained by Anakin, um, you know, with none of them falling to the dark side and none of them running off to do more harm than good. Um, would be a very, very excellent way to sort of maybe redeem and continue the Skywalker name. What if uh, she than the than the routes that the movie took? Right. What if she created more like a, a black ops kind of version of Jedi that that discreetly went in and fixed so- solutions? Behind, Jedi Team Six, yeah, like behind <laughs> everybody's back. I mean, the Republic doesn't know, the New Republic doesn't know, the First Order didn't know. Things just it like happened, and everybody thinks that they're kind of like they were they were mistakes, oopses. They're like there's such ghosts that they literally set up things to look like accidents, and then and well, I mean, uh. You know, an so underfunded, they, under-equipped, under-trained, outgunned, outmanned rebellion toppled the Empire in less than 20 years. So there maybe was something. And so you have this, but, and they, and the entire purpose of operating in the dark like that is to ensure that there is no influence outside the order that's directing because you can't trust the it's like the the influences of those that uh, a quote unquote that might be i guess less yeah less than ideal like palpatine wolf and yeah no they don't know. they don't want to they don't want to answer to politicians they don't want to answer to anybody but their own counsel so if they see um, somebody hurting they see some they see pain they they uh, disturbance in the force those kind of things they address those things specifically and then and they get in they get out and they don't it's not it, it's not political it's it's more of like this this covert we and the minute we're known about is the minute people try to influence our influence us and or influence, you know it. they also they also chose or choose to stay hidden uh, because they know that the empire isn't really dead even after the second Death Star, they know that the Emperor is still out there. They know Ooh, that yeah. if they reveal themselves, they'll be destroyed. Right, so, and they know the Chosen One's coming, and it's a matter of t- wait till the Chosen One, or whatnot. I, it, it will be curious to see the direction they go, but I feel like there's a lot they, that that <clears throat> they can explore and discover, because even the Fallen Order, I mean... That happens, isn't it, just after? It's like three or something odd years after the Clone Wars end, yeah. Yeah. I don't know, dude. I don't know. Because unfortunately, no matter what route they take, it will in some ways contradict stuff that already exists. So Ooh, and I wonder if they're ever gonna I wonder if they'll bring Cal Kestis into the Mandalorian. Well, I mean, Cal is incredibly popular. Uh they did a um they did a contest to see whose lightsaber should be brought to to the galaxy's edge mm-hmm. uh, shops, and Cal's won. Oh, wow. So, yeah, Cal's won the competition, and I think he beat out Ahsoka and maybe some other people. So, 
cool. you can build Cal Kestis's lightsaber at Galaxy's Edge now or soon. Um, that says some. That really does say some to me. And dude, and they chose an actor that people are familiar with mm-hmm. to play him in the game for a reason, and they gave him his face for a reason. Right. So it's. I mean. And as far as I know, that's shit. That it's canon. It is canon. It is so. canon. It is. So canon. anyway, anything so, anything that they make video game wise going forward is canon. is canon. Yep. So I think that includes squadrons. I think squadrons is a canon story. Yeah, I, I really felt like it. It's like, and I mean, it's an interesting story too. It it explains a lot. Just I mean, because doesn't that one's taken place? um after the first death star is destroyed right so i, I don't i honestly don't recall I don't remember anyway um, i'm gonna have to watch gonna i'm tired I'm, t- I'm tired i'm gonna have to play it some more right. i actually haven't beaten the campaign i've just been having fun doing ai <laughs> battles um right it's it's such a good fucking game so it is fun so. yeah so i mean we've got what is it seven more episodes of the mandalorian to mm-hmm. look forward to um it's oh, gonna go by you know what was it's gonna go thing? by and mm-hmm, sorry what's that uh no, the, no, no, go ahead i really liked about this episode more than a lot of the others we see and hopefully it wasn't just because it's a premiere but the time the, the length, length yeah of the it was a nice was, that was a nice healthy episode that 50, was 58 minutes i think or something mm-hmm. along those and lines i could do that kind of episode every time hopefully that's what we yes did. I'm hoping. Yes, for sure. For sure, yeah. No, nice, healthy episode. And, I mean, honestly, it wouldn't surprise me if they made some of the episodes even longer than that. Um, I feel like they couldn't have not, not even touched on, uh, I mean, not even have anybody complain about length. The, the no, nobody time. would give a damn about length, especially with the one episode released at a time. Mm-hmm. And if they're trying to tell intricately woven stories then they're going to need every single second they can get so i'm not i i know last season we got a couple of what you might call filler episodes um i don't know that we're going to see much in the way of filler this time yeah i can't see that we are because one could say that this episode would be considered filler if it weren't for the appearance of boba fett well i and that yes yes at the same time i feel like there's a whole lot that we we saw in the story that is going to play out to be to kind of be some background information that we're going to find out further on down the road like just a little like oh yeah i remember in the first episode we let we you know this this was going on and then you find out a little bit more information about exactly like what might have prompted the first raid on uh moss pelgo or whatever um those kind of things i'm I'm curious to find out if we if they answered questions that we're gonna have further on down the road you know well hey dude i mean there's always a possibility too that maybe out of this also springs something like an anthology show where maybe we see more of cobb in the background, you know, and some of that background of, of the, of Mos Pelgo. Um, mm-hmm. Nothing, nothing is done for no reason with these stories and with Favs and Filoni. Um, it's all being done for a reason. I mean, we, we learned that about the Bad Batch. Yeah, Remember in say, Clone Wars, we yep. said, 
why why are they introducing these new characters well it was to see how popular they would end up so they could see if they could tell stories of the bad batch and now they're making a bad batch show um you know i mean my opinion is very well known and i said there's no such thing as too much star wars more star wars is always a good thing um and the stories don't always have to be about jedi and sith you know i am more no. than happy to watch a show about Cobb being a marshal in this town or some of the some of the other battles and challenges he's had to take on or the things um, that go on on Tatooine and what he might get involved with now if he if he takes you know a more active role in even just Tatooine well I mean it looked like at the end of the episode he even had a better relationship with the Tuscan Raiders yes know? and so well I mean if it's anything like the last season where Jin found himself needing allies, maybe he turns to Cobb and says, Hey, I need help. I well, we need already friends. know Cobb is coming back in this, this season. So, you know, maybe I, I think they set it up for Cobb to be coming back too. So, yeah. And maybe he'll get a, maybe he'll get a set of armor. Maybe, <laughs> ma- so. maybe, Hey, maybe, maybe he'll f- choose to follow the ways of the Mandalore. Right. Maybe they can make him a Mandalorian. Or maybe the armorer will make him an honorary set of something or do something. I hope we see her, dude. I hope we see her again. I really liked the armorer. Yeah. Seriously. She, uh, the whole, the whole, yeah, the whole show. Again, hats off. What a great job. Filoni and Fav. Yep. And, I mean, we were like, oh, hey. We're not going to make this a supersized episode. Well, in two and a half hours later, here we go. We have we have made a supersized episode. But hey, uh, oh, it was with, a good, it was with fun. Two with would do with two massive events like this. How could it not be supersized? And we didn't go uh, down the rabbit hole nearly as many times as we could have. We we stayed to it. Oh God, dude! I could I can I could literally talk about this shit all day. So. Um, Absolutely. I wish I could. I wish I could get paid to talk about this stuff all day. That would that would be my dream. To just here, we will pay you ten dollars an hour. Just talk Star Wars for the rest of your life. And be like, all right, I guess. I, could it I, be eleven, maybe twelve? You know. It just means I'm going to be talking about it twenty hours a day. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I've so. got uh, I've got some bills to pay. And right. we'll get it done but hey you know down the road and if <laughs> we will be more regular here soon especially with the mandalorian coming out like this so you will be hearing from buddy and guy um in the house of mtvg and also with our Bloom, broom boy segments but for this week I think I I mean I can't think of anything else to add on to the episode that would be more worthwhile i'm gonna just say i'm gonna right now claim it one last time we made the han connection we did um yeah yeah i'll uh i'll accept that that little the little slapping of the of the the jetpack Slapping of the jetpack. I, I didn't break that. That had, was referenced to Han Solo and what the fuck he did in uh, Return of the Jedi. That right there. Mm. 
I mean, dude, I'm I'm scanning my social media, which is where you see these things, and uh, I'm telling you, I didn't see it in one Easter egg thing. Nobody mentioned it. <laughs> Not nope. that I saw. So, uh, I'll take the first until somebody wants to argue that, and then you know, I think we'll pat ourselves on the back because that would be two people out of everybody else that noticed that shit. And well, there's a reason why we do it, and this is the reason why you should listen to Buddy and Guy. So, until yep, next week. Yep, every now and again we get some shit right. <laughs> we get shit right a lot. Because you know why? We're smart motherfuckers. And we know our Star Wars. Yeah, well, I mean, so we will uh, we will be recording, obviously, now that Mando is back. Uh, we got to cover it when it's fresh. So, uh, enjoy this supersized episode. This super star destroyer sized episode, we'll call it. I like uh, it. Yeah, and we will uh, be back next week to cover everything that happens between now and then, including uh, chapter ten of the Mandalorian, and hopefully nothing crazy <laughs> happens in between now and then. Oh, you know something's gonna crazy is gonna happen here in the next. Well, I mean. We have an election in, in like three days. So, I mean, if that counts as crazy, I don't know that. Honestly, I know elections are big deals, but I don't like being super political on here. Mm-hmm. Um, just like I don't like being super political in general. So um, well, I just when I say it means super crazy, all I mean is, you know, you're going to see a lot of people with a lot of emotions roller coastering this way and that way. Um, and it's going to be yeah, it's going to be just a hunker down and and ride the wave because people are gonna people are invested down to their core in a lot of stuff and this is one of them and so just hold on and we'll get through it and when you come back next week we'll have a beautiful show for you to just sit and relax to but that's right until then i'm but i'm guy (laughs) <laughs> and I, i'm buddy i really wanted to say i'm buddy and guy but it's like i can't it's like i'm not buddy i'm not buddy i'm just guy but i can't but, well, but i mean but you could say this has been buddy and guy peace out motherfuckers that. i mean you but could you, you you do that you do our closing line so well and i never want to take that away from you so i'm guy but we don't but we don't have a closing line for yeah, this one well, not really we're gonna not we we're still in the Broom Boys segment, and we're going to take it out with the Broom Boys. All right, fine. We have spoken, motherfuckers. <laughs> yeah.